Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoil the Warning podcast. This is our recap of 2016. I am Christopher Schnazy. Uh, I'm uh, I'm Anthony Weiner's Weiner, and I'm Stephen Miller's face. And if you're joining us for the first time, I'm sorry. This is the Spoil the Warning podcast. It is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we usually dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, this is a special episode. Uh, probably going to be a long one. Would you Sorry say a very special episode? It's a very special. Okay. It's a very, very special episode. This is our yearly top whatever number we've chosen to do this year. Traditionally, it has been a different amount each time. But now, we're, this is our second year in a row. We're going to do a full top ten for you. And it might be the first year in a row that it's a true top ten. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> yeah. no, no jerk holes in the podcast are going to pick two for each category. Um, <laughs> I promise no shenanigans beforehand. And, uh, uh, yeah. But, yeah, we're, we're going to be counting down our favorite films of, of 2016, the year that has ended just a few short weeks ago. Um, yes. As always, why don't we start off, you guys, and uh, sort, of, sort of talk about... General, general basic thoughts on the year and, and how you chose your list. So, Stephen, why don't you start us off? So, ba- basic thoughts on the year. I, I feel like a broken record now because this, this is probably going to be the third year in a row where I say that it was a weird year in that it didn't have the type of films I normally put in a top ten. So maybe that just means I'm changing. Maybe like I just don't put those movies in a top ten anymore. <laughs> um, You're growing up, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Like it, th- but this, I feel like, was a particularly... Eclectic is the wrong word, because I think most movies we talk about tonight, people will have heard of. At least people who care about movies will probably have heard of them. So it isn't like, I, I don't know about Carson's List, but in general, it isn't like crazy hard to find stuff. Yeah, but, it's, like, it's like storks. Yeah, but <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. The, this was the year where, so not only did most major blockbusters fail to be contenders like like this was a year that did not have the equivalent of a lego movie or something i cannot think of any giant well-beloved film that was a big crowd pleaser and also is like high in critical contention yeah it was it was this was a year for me of kind of mild disappointment in most blockbusters that came out like in the f factor the the rogue one feeling the so many hey, things hey, that hey, i was hey, like hey, hey, eh. hey. Don't, don't you talk about rogue one like that <laughs> but but also this for awards bait films too. This was a year also where in general the the awards baity movies did not match the the expectations I had set for them. Like I remember go, going into this year, we talked about this. Birth of a Nation was the movie that everyone was talking about after <laughs> like after the festival circuit of this is the one to beat, this is the one to win. Yeah. And by the time it came out, like no one was even talking about it anymore. And I, I know there's circumstantial things around that. But in general, this is the year where I feel like we might have the least conflicting lists ever. Because there was just, it was a very eclectic year for good movies. And I think one man's great film was another man's boring not worth watching movie. <laughs> Jackie. Um, but uh, yeah, what about <laughs> you? <laughs> what, what, what about you, Carson? Um, well, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, spoilers, I think this is my favorite top 10 list that I have put together. Really? Uh, for the time I've been on this, on this show. So uh, I, I felt it was 
even more difficult to whittle down to even 10 movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt I, I found myself, uh, you know, eliminating f- movies that I, I really enjoyed uh, in favor of other ones. And um, yeah, I think that uh, this year was a really great year for movies. I know that, you know, everyone online always there's always like the obligatory like uh, cinema is dead. It's over, guys. Like that whole spiel. Um, well, Tony Erdman supposedly proves that it isn't. According <laughs> to the trailer, I watch every fucking night now. Oh god! You know, if a single movie silences, it's like, yeah, we get it. Um, we get it, seen... A.O. Scott. <laughs> You're real seen... sophisticated. Yeah, I haven't seen Tony Erdman yet, but um, I don't know. I, I heard it was really good. <laughs> I heard it. Heard it was good. Um, I, I, but that doesn't, you know. That means <laughs> I, I, I will. I will say we saw the trailer for it. Like I feel like it was two nights in a row, and the first night we walked in in the middle of the trailer. Mm-hmm. The second time we watched the trailer from the beginning makes a lot more sense. I'm, yep. s- I'm sort of understanding what this film's about now. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, like I, I think that uh, you know people, people, you know, crying that whole thing about you know movies suck and. Cinema's dead, whatever. I think that, that you know, I, I don't know where these people are looking because I think there is a whole wealth of, uh, of movies, big and small, uh, that were, that were uh, uh, like, uh, to borrow from Steven, I think they were eclectic. Uh, I think there was a, you know, a really interesting batch of stuff that came out this year. So, um, yeah, like I said... Uh, definitely, definitely my favorite list. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to to reveal it and and also to hear uh, what uh, insufferable gems that Stephen has con- oh, yeah. <laughs> has compiled and uh, I packed in know, a few for you. Yeah, whatever, whatever, <laughs> and you know whatever uh, Schneider's of the Lost Ark has up his sleeve. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good times! I yeah. actually think there's only. Two to three things on my list that Carson will have not liked. Well, we'll mm. see. I, I don't think this is. A, <laughs> I think this will be reasonably balanced. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, you do have trolls on there, so that, that, that's sure. a reasonable. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah good. Uh, for me, I had, I had a much different problem com- comprising my list than I think I think the two of you did. Um, I kind of started off this year with my top two. And then was like, shit, how am I going to stretch this to 10? I eventually, found a, <laughs> I, I eventually found myself at a point where I was pretty happy with my top five. And then my, my, my full top 10 list was a little bit... It, it wasn't necessarily hard to put things into it. It's just that the things that were outside of my top five were not... It was, it was difficult to sort them out because I had nothing that was like super outstanding in my head. Like This is just a year that... Um, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to say it's me, not the year of film. Um, but I just didn't have a great experience, I guess, in general watching film this year. Not that I didn't like things, just that nothing, I didn't have a lot of schnazy films this year where I was just super blown away and they spoke to me directly. Um, so I mostly, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the top five and then everything after that is sort of films that I am... You know, we're doing a top ten, so they go in there, and and maybe I have harder time justifying them than than I could yeah. in in other years. I, I'm much more in Carson's boat. Where, so first, I thought I would be stretching to get a solid top five, 
and I wrote down everything. And then over the next day or two, I kept remembering more things that I forgot were this year that came out. And in the end, there were like 18 movies, none of which I wanted to leave off the list. And uh, I'm, I'm even now crossing my fingers and just like assuming Carson will throw a few of these in that I didn't wind up having room for. So yeah, it, it was a year that felt, I think because of the number of duds that we didn't expect to be duds, it felt like a poor year. But at least yeah. for me, when I actually look back at the year, it was quite, it had a wealth of good things. They just weren't coming from the places I expected them to come from. And, and I, will, I will also say this just to, to clarify a little bit. This was the first year that I was much busier than I have been in past years. And there are some things that I just didn't get to see that I would have in a normal year made extra time to see. But just things escaped me that I didn't even have a chance to have on my list. So maybe my list would be completely different had I given all of them a shot. Mm. Yeah. We'll never know because you didn't see Ratchet and Clank the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still want to see it. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the Ratchet and Clank series. Oh, I know. <laughs> Chris had a crazy man meltdown on Sarah's Facebook page to the point where people were like privately messaging her going like, who is this guy and why does he care so much about this fucking Ratchet and Clank movie? <laughs> I love that funny. you like you failed to divulge this to me until right now. <laughs> I was saving it, saving you know. it all year. Yeah, I was. Just, I was waiting for the perfect opportunity. You were hoping it was going to make my list. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was kind of hoping. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I did though. Hold, however, buy the PS4 out. game, which was the remake of the movie, which was the remake of the game, which was the remake of everything. Like it's, right. it's a great, it's a great nested world of uh, fun that they created. But yeah, but anyways, guys. Should we should we sort of start the proceedings here and uh, get in and start talking about our films? Yep. Let's go in. Here we go. We are going to start off with our number 10 films. Steven, start us off. What is your number 10 film of the year? Okay. So I, I should start by introducing, like, every year for the past three or four years, my 6 through 10 are named awards. They get a runners-up and a winner. And then my top five will be just a top five. That's how I cheat and mention a few more things than I otherwise would have. So num number 10 is what I call uh, the Annie Hall Award. This is about uh, an award for kind of a small talky flick, usually set in New York, that fills this kind of pleasant niche where it isn't that weighty, it isn't that heavy a movie. It's just a, it's a film that is a, a nice way to spend an hour or two and says something about life and leaves you thinking. Um, so my runner-up, proving, and maybe this will be one that Carson hated, uh, but proving that I think I am just a sap for Ira Sachs movies is a film called Little Men. Um, so oh, boy. I, yeah, yeah. So I, Ira Sachs made uh, the movie Love is Strange before, and I think he's just carving out this niche that I really like as the sort of poet laureate of New York housing crises. Um, <laughs> this is just a movie about kids growing up in New York trying to be friends amid this like gentrifying climate where they can't really stay in the same social class. Uh, but... The movie that I want to award it to is Don't Think Twice. Uh, that was a movie by Mike Birbiglia. Uh, years ago, I put Sleepwalk with me in my top five. And I felt kind of shameful back then because it was a movie that was personal to me, but I kind of didn't think it was artful. I didn't think it said quite that much. I just happened to love it. Um, I have no shame putting Don't Think Twice on this list. Um, I am a long-term fan of Mike Birbiglia. I love his, his solo work, his uh, one-person, one-man plays. Uh, but this 
gets to the heart of what I love about comedy, which is the the way people can use hum- humor as a coping mechanism against sadness. Uh, the way grading repetition, just by virtue of being so bad it's good, can eventually become something meaningful. <laughs> um, and it really it has a lot to say about success and the act of achievement and what it feels like when people have gotten there and suddenly are out of reach from the friends that they grew up with. And I, I loved this movie. I thought it was so wonderfully small. I thought the emotions were really powerful. I thought it was very funny, too. And the improv scenes were not embarrassing, which blew my mind, because from the trailer, I would have thought they'd be grating. So don't think twice. Really loved this movie. Uh, definitely go see it. I just watched it two nights ago, and it depressed me. Carson, <laughs> did you see, uh, have you seen Don't Think Twice? Uh, I Yeah, well, first I'll say... Um, Quickly, he only has 17 seconds left. Oh, oh no. Uh, don't think twice. Yes, and, yes, and. Um, um, I, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said about Love is Strange, which is uh, that movie was so fucking white that it made a Nancy, it made a Nancy Myers, it made all of Nancy Myers' movies look like Boys in the Hood. Um, and I just, I didn't, I was not a fan of that movie. To the so much. All right, time's up. <laughs> okay, but I I did not like that movie so much that I did not see Little Men. Um, so I can't weigh in on that one, but uh, probably would have the same opinion. Um, I don't know, but Don't Think Twice. Um, was I, I'm surprised that movie wasn't higher on Steven's list because he 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 talked about it very highly. Um, I went and saw it. I, uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that, sorry, I wasn't that big of a fan of Don't Think Twice. Like, I came out of All that right, movie. Keep it short, keep it short, Carson, keep it short. Uh, okay, okay, but I came out of that, I came out of that movie going, so is, is improv comedy really this unfunny? Like, I, I mean, I don't know, that was, <laughs> that was my biggest takeaway from it. And then secondly, I just didn't like the fact that, like, all these characters, like, it started off, like, well with all these, like, really flawed characters, you know? and then But they all have these, like, big movie arcs, you know? And they, they learn something and change in the end, and I thought that was kind of phony. So I wasn't a fan of that. Agree to disagree. All right. Well, one thing that you were a fan of, Carson, is your number 10. What is it? Uh, okay, so... Three minutes. I, I, I had shuffled this movie around uh, several times, but because I just... I don't know how to classify it, but I just decided to put it at number 10 because I'm just going to say fuck it and come out of the gate strong. Um, uh, and so that is a movie called The Greasy Strangler. And um, <laughs> this is a, uh, I mean, I don't even, it's, it's kind of an indescribable movie, but other than it's very, very, it's definitely original, that's for sure. Uh, and when I saw the trailer for this movie, I was thinking like, Oh boy, this is either going to be like unbearable or it's going to be um it, like it's going to be really good. Um and and thankfully it was the latter because it, it kind of feels like it could be this like adult swim sketch gone awry. But uh the director who it's his first movie, Jim Hosking, um he's like a he's a British filmmaker and he really had a like a very bizarre warped vision for this film. And it's definitely the weirdest father-son relationship movie, I think, that I've seen in a long time. Like, every time I see the trailer for Tony Erdman, it makes me think that it's like the Euro art house version of Greasy Strangler, <laughs> but with a father-daughter and maybe not as fucked up. But I don't know. 
Um, I heard there's a lot of like graphic. There's like full frontal dong and stuff in in Tony Erdman. I don't know if they can top. I'm fine the with full... dong, but don't make it frontal dong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they can I top the Tony Erdman. Uh, I don't know if they could. I don't know if they could top the uh, the. Uh, the, the amount of dong and uh, greasy strangler though so um, but yeah it is oh, it that's is quite the greasy strangler it is quite the movie um, like I said I I really I really don't know how how to describe it other than I mean they're really the plot I don't even want want to go into it I think you should just go in let it wash over you um, I'm probably running out of time but I think like the I think the best way I guess to describe it was I think I, I think we got about like ten minutes into the movie, right? And then I, there there was a, there was like one line, one this one scene that happened that was so ridiculous. And I looked over at Sarah. We we both looked at each other and just burst out laughing. I think that was the moment. I was like, "This is this is a fucking movie right here. Like this <laughs> is one for the books." So yeah, check out the Greasy Strangler. It's got a really cool uh, uh, score. And uh, it's definitely got a crazy vision, so, yeah. Cool. I, re- I remember hearing all about it when it was playing in a theater that won't be named around here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I kind yes. of assume it's in the same school of film as The Love Witch, which maybe we'll be hearing about later, uh, where it's like a very specific kind of genre film that is just going balls to the wall in on this one genre. Yeah, uh, very much so, yeah. Like I said, it, 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 it has that feel of like a Tim and Eric sketch you know uh like very like absurdist and bizarre but uh i i feel like you know the the filmmaker he really reins it in and it's very specific um and and i think that's what makes it that's what makes it you know unique because he had a very very unique vision cool well uh i have not seen it i probably won't (laughs) but speaking of unique things there's only one film that made Christopher Schnazy's number 10 this year. That's right. Mm. And uh, it is a film that when the trailer first hit, I believe Carson, in like that sarcastic, joking, <laughs> slash angry and slightly annoyed, was like, this will be fucking Chris's favorite movie of the year. And that, <laughs> <laughs> and that is Hardcore Henry. <laughs> we know. Wow. Again, I thought this would be higher. <laughs> we know that I am a fan of the... The I guess found footage you could call this film, um, but yeah, I mean, this was a film that like I was like, of course I love this movie, but I was slightly scared that I would actually enjoy it, and what I got was actually an incredibly fun ride, um, and I, I think it works so much better than it probably should have. It's just it's it's a it's a fully first person film in like what is the craziest action movie that's come out in a long time, and. Uh, yeah, it's just an awesome ride, and I don't have to say a lot about it other than you should go see freaking Hardcore Henry because it's freaking awesome. Um, so, yeah. Thoughts? Anybody? I got like two minutes left. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that I – I mean, I don't think it would have made my list, but I completely forgot that that came out this year. Um, <laughs> it was so memorable. Yeah, I, like I – yeah, so, so clearly it did not leave that kind of mental footprint to me. In my mind, it was a – it was a very good gimmick, right? It was it was a gimmick that impressed me for the duration of the film. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I would agree that people should go out and see it. It's just for me, I guess the gimmick did not have staying power because I couldn't even remember it at the end of the year. <laughs> well, Carson remembers it because obviously oh. he thought it was going to be much higher on my list. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, you can go back and listen to the uh, the full review where 
Chris legitimately says that Hardcore Henry is a better movie than The Revenant. And then I legitimately call him Lights, Camera, Jackson. So that is something you can look forward to. I forgot Um, I said that. That's so amazing, though. (laughs) Um, And I'll I'll say again what I said uh, back then was that uh, Hardcore Henry, definitely this year's Victoria. Uh, which, if, you remember, yeah. if you remember from last year, Trigger was, was not a fan of that. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> no, just move on. Nothing. Oh, okay. Um, Middle Easter egg. <laughs> okay, I think I think I know what you mean. Um, yeah, sorry, uh, not to trigger anybody, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you remember last year on the recap, uh, not a fan of that movie. So, yep. Yeah. Well, uh, there it is. We've we made it. We made it through our number tens. Uh, now we're on to our number nines for 2016. Stephen, nine. What was your number nine? You have three minutes. Yep. Uh, so number nine is what I've called the Act of Killing Award, which is just for a kind of traditional documentary that blows me away. Um, a couple runners up, as usual. One runner up uh, was the movie Thirteenth. Uh, that was a movie on Netflix about. Again, kind of about public housing and race relations. Uh, it might have hit me harder normally, but I had just read the book that I think it cribbed almost everything from called The New Jim Crow. So good documentary, but read the book instead. It's much better. Um, Wiener. Shots fired. Yeah, Wiener, Wiener was another. This was a documentary that I think it was the most perverse pleasure I had all year was watching this movie. Uh, this follows Anthony Wiener through his uh, gubernatorial race in New York or mayor, mayoral race in New York. Um, and this is just the perfect train wreck of a movie. They had, like, unbelievable access to this crazy character. And by the end, you want him to win, even though he's such a, <laughs> he's such a ridiculous person that the movie really gets you inside his head and gives you that drive. Um, gets you inside his wiener. Yeah, but the, but the movie I'm awarding this to, and the one that I thought I was really clever for, like, six months ago when I decided it would be on my list which has since made almost every list known to man, uh, is O.J. Made in America. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Uh, But I I swear to God, like, I I saw this not having even really heard about it. It was just like a a documentary series that I wanted to watch. And this is, I thought it was an insanely powerful documentary. It had so many just oh shit moments where you can't believe the the access they got, the people they had in the OJ documentary. They started from like the 1950s and 60s and race relations, and then they grow all the way through the trial. They have the prosecutor there. They have Mark Furman there. They have OJ's manager revealing, among other things, when OJ basically admitted that he committed the murder. Like, like everyone, <laughs> everyone is in this movie, and it, it really builds the tension very well, and it portrays this age-old story that we all grew up with in a way that I thought was new and fresh and provoked insight that is very relevant today. So not the kind of original pick I thought it would be uh, months ago, but still, I think, for a pure documentary that is trying to kind of teach you something and make you look at the world from a different angle, I thought this fulfilled that really great. So yeah, I would check that out. It's something that I've heard everyone talk about and one of the things that I did not get to see this year. Uh, I did not see uh, uh, OJ or 13th. I did see Wiener, though. Uh, I enjoyed Wiener. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, it's funny because, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's almost hilarious how much OJ and Wiener popped up on, on some top 10 lists <laughs> to the point where my brother was like, you should just go on the show and have, like, every other movie be O.J. and Wiener, and then, like, number one be Suicide Squad or something. Like, it's just a super, super troll list. 
Um, but yeah, uh, I thought I thought Wiener was entertaining, you know, like like Steven said, in kind of like the train wreck uh, sort of way. Um, I almost w- it, it, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when you 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 read about people who have these like you know crazy fetishes, um, you know, or you co- you hear about like you know like the 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 like weird porn or something where the guy you know the people like jerking off on action figures or something and you're like you're like you're like um like who is this for and then you kind of shrug your shoulders and you're like well you know there's something for everybody i think like anthony weiner is that guy and he somehow just ran for mayor he's like a politician like his mind is like of that ilk you know where you're just like why is he doing this stuff? But it's it's a very, like, interesting, like, human behavior study, you know, because he just continually kept fucking up, and he still has, even when the cameras are He keeps aren't running, rolling. and people still like him. That's what's so amazing. They still I like know, him. I know, because he has this, like, <laughs> weird charisma to him. Um, and he stars and, in uh, movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the only thing that, that I would say about, about Wiener is that I kind of wanted more Wiener out of it. Like, not to be joking, but, like, they... I, I kind of wanted more of that, where it showed more, like, I almost kind of want to see, like, a Wolf of Wall Street style, you know, movie, like, take on him just, like, diving deep into, like, all the, the sexting and stuff, you know? I think that would be interesting. But, I mean, they definitely struck gold by by uh, having the cameras rolling, and the fact that he didn't tell them to stop filming, um, <laughs> that was which crazy. is crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It was almost up there with, like, the jinx in crazy camera things. Where yeah, yeah. The guy yeah. has no self of, like, what they're betraying on uh, on screen. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that his wife, his poor wife, just sticks through it until finally she's had enough wiener, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, speaking, yeah. speaking of having enough wiener, Carson. Oh, okay, yeah. What is your number nine? Um, well, this is a movie that I saw uh, pretty recently. It came out... Uh, it came out in December for its like one week run in New York, and then it it came here last weekend. Uh, it's called Two Lovers and a Bear, uh, and it stars uh, Dane DeHaan and uh, Tatiana Maslany. Cricket? It stars Cricket. It stars Cricket, our boy. Uh, he is. Uh, they play star-crossed lovers uh, in an unnamed, sleepy Canadian town near the North Pole. And uh, the title is, uh, uh, Chris would like it, because the title is pretty literal. Uh, There are two lovers, and there is also a polar bear in the movie, uh, which I might add is uh, a real polar bear, and it's integrated seamlessly into the movie next to uh, real people. Go figure. Interesting. Um, Very nice. and um, and this, this isn't just the American title for Valerian and the City of a Thousand uh, no, Planets no, or whatever. No, <laughs> no, but it definitely got me amped to see that and on to also see A Cure for Wellness. So, uh, you know, just definitely 2017 is going to be the year of Dane, you know, which uh, uh, my girlfriend will love. So. And we're not talking about uh, Judy Dench. <laughs> but but anyway, this movie, you know, I don't want to really give too much away other than uh, I think Dane DeHaan, Tatiana Masani have like off-the-charts chemistry. Also, the chemistry between Dane DeHaan and the polar bear in this movie, <laughs> way, way better than all of Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone's <laughs> I knew that chemistry. was going to be what you compared it to. <laughs> uh, I'm dead, I am dead serious. Um, yeah, um, and it, 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 uh, it also has probably the best usage of Seven Nation Army 
by White Stripes in a movie. Um, uh, obviously, you so, haven't seen the trailer for G.I. Joe Retaliation. Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, it bests the G.I. Joe uh, Retaliation trailer. Um, uh, and, and, you know, like, so anyway, like, I won't say much more about it other than I knew it was coming out and it's got, you know, people in it I like. And, um, and uh, I, we went to see the movie, uh, we went to see Gold, you know, the Matthew McConaughey movie. And they showed, uh, they showed, the last trailer that they showed was for Two Lovers and a Bear, and I hadn't seen the trailer before. And then after they showed the trailer and, and, and were like, you know, and Gold starts, I shit you not, like, I, for the entirety of Gold, I just kept thinking of, fuck, man, that Two Lovers and a Bear trailer, though, like, I gotta see this shit. Like, that's how, uh, so I would just say, go watch the trailer. Um, and then go see the movie or just, just go fucking see the movie. I don't know what I'm talking about, but anyways, that's just, that's just like the, that's how good the movie was. I was like, oh man, like this is, this is going to be, I hope this lives up and then it did. So, uh, yeah, good, good romance, good romance. Oh, I'm right on time. So by, by the end of the movie, uh, does the bear survive or is it only the lovers left alive? Uh, <laughs> see what you did there. Ah. Uh. Just getting the Jarmusch uh, yes. train rolling for later. <laughs> All right, so on to my number nine. Sure. All right, so my number nine uh, falls into the. I mean, this is the film that uh, that, according to Carson and according to the truth, uh, I struggled with trying to convince myself I liked. <laughs> uh, my number nine is Arrival, a film which I, I did struggle to like, but I mm. but I, I succeeded. It was a film that I had a lot of trouble with. Um, just the the like everything that wasn't on screen, I had an issue with. But everything that was on screen was great. Um, it, it, we this was a year that I feel like we didn't have a crazy amount of sci-fi stories, and this was like the one the one real big non-Star Wars, non-Marvel related sci-fi kind of story out there that like took itself very seriously and told an interesting, compelling story about these visitors that didn't involve you know, a, 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 a big squad of military people running through Los Angeles trying to shoot um, different things, right? Um, this is, is, is one of the big ones, and uh, I, as much as I did have problems with it as a, as a whole, I did genuinely really, really enjoy it, and I want more of this type of film to be made, period. So it deserves the number nine slot on my list, and uh, yeah, Arrival. Yeah, I I loved it. I you will be hearing about it later <laughs> from me. <laughs> so I won't say anything else now. Uh I guess I'll just wait I'll just wait till Steven talks about it so we can we can chug along. <laughs> All right, cool. So that is our number nines. Which brings us, of course, logically, <laughs> to our number eights. <laughs> Steven. Killed it. What was your number eight film of 2016? All right. So the number eight, this is the award where I cheat. And I think it's going to be the last one that Carson has an audible eye roll if he has seen the movie. Um, so this is my Overnighters Award, which is given to the movie where I cheat, where like I think the Academy counts it as having come out the year before, but you couldn't actually see it in the U.S. until now. So like I count it because no reasonable person could have seen the movie until then. Um, and for me, that is a movie called Mustang, which I caught early in February. Uh, that's a Turkish movie. It's kind of like the Turkish version of The Virgin Suicides, I think. It's a very, very Sofie, uh, Sofia Coppola-inspired film about 
a group of sisters who are growing up in a kind of repressed family in Turkey, and it's a coming-of-age story where some are coming to terms with sexuality and others are coming to terms with, like, their emotions and their anger at their family, and they're trying to break free. And I think it, it has one of the most wonderful break-free moments of any film I've seen this year. It, re- it had the kind of crescendoing ending that just left me in a really happy place. So I'm guessing you guys didn't see this, so I don't have to say too much more, but I thought it had shades of things like Persepolis, just like a very heartfelt story where you can tell the filmmaker has lived in this situation and is trying to bring the little details of it uh, to, the, to the screen. Um, I thought it was a, a, a wonderful mix between the kind of cry for help in a, when you're coming to grips with a past you don't like, but then the shout of resilience and the fondness you feel for the, the kind of sad things that you grew up with that were very particular and were yours to be said. So I, I thought it was just a lovely film. Um, I know Son of Saul deservedly won the best foreign film of the year, but I think this in any other year would have been a very strong contender. I thought it was really, really worth checking out, and I'm pretty sure it's on iTunes now, so anyone can go rent it. Yeah, it's a film that I had heard lots of great things about, and I wanted to watch it. Um, whenever it was that originally became available and I just never got around to it. Uh, <laughs> you may not have seen this is uh, the story of my life. Uh, <laughs> I, I did see I did see Mustang. I, I liked it. Um, I, I was surprised because I didn't think I was going to like it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of appreciated how like dirty the movie was. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, it was dirty. Uh, like the, I, I feel like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm saying that, you know, seriously, like, I think that, you know, uh, just because it was about a bunch of teenage girls, you know, didn't mean it had to be, you know, it was like super bad level. And I think that's kind of, that's accurate, you know? And and I think the other, the only other movie, um, did another movie that, that came out this year that was like that was uh, The Edge of Seventeen. I was going to say uh, Edge of Seventeen sounds a lot like this from the way people are praising yeah, it. That, that's, one, seven- that's one that I definitely wanted to see that I yeah. didn't get to. Yeah, that was more of like the mainstream, you know, non-foreign version. Uh, and, and Haley Steinfeld, man, she killed that. She was so good in that movie. Um, and, and yeah, it was kind of like the female version of Superbad. And it was very like, you know, touching. Uh, probably the best, definitely the best uh, teen comedy since Superbad, for sure. Edge of 17. M- Mustang is not a comedy, I don't think. <laughs> Mustang, no, not, not a comedy, yeah. Um, yeah, Son of Saul was good, too. I mean, that's not a movie that... I'm never going to watch again because it's depressing as hell. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I do want to say the the ending of Mustang, I think it does for Istanbul, what Lost in Translation did for Japan, which is make it just seem like an incredible... It lent it like a very romantic weight that just immediately made me want to go there in the middle of the night and just look out at the skyline. And I think... I don't. There's not enough movies that make me kind of yearn for the freedom of some place and I, I felt like this movie really ended on that high note so I, I appreciated that hmm. I'll definitely check it out probably more so that than the Greasy Strangler <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I think that Chris would lean a little more toward Mustang than the Greasy Strangler although it'd be really funny to to see his rea- to see Chris's reaction to it mm-hmm. if, yeah. I, if I saw the Greasy Strangler would I feel the way I felt when I walked out of Tusk Oh, yeah, I think even worse. Okay, then I'm definitely not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but things that you did watch, Carson, what was your number eight? Oh, I thought Stephen hadn't said his yet, or did you just... No, Mustang. 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 I didn't do runners-up for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, Mustang. Okay. Mustang was his eight. Yeah. 
Okay, so sorry, but I did combine two movies into one slot, but it's only for this number eight one, but it'll make sense after <laughs> Batman Superman and Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, so I, it makes sense. But anyway, the first movie uh, is uh, is Hacksaw Ridge, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, I think Mel Gibson is a great filmmaker. I was excited to see his return to directing, and this movie delivered um, in in every possible way. Um, I think that it is is hands down the best mainstream war movie since Saving Private Ryan. It's also the like easily the most realistic and the most brutal because I feel like lately, you know, these war movies like with all the the advent of you know with uh, digital technology and things get easier, you know, like. The, you know, like you see these battle scenes in movies and they're, they're just like really just pussified, you know, like they're really wimpy and it doesn't really bring, you know, the sense of 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 of, he- of hellish nature. You know, it doesn't have that feeling of, um, you know, that war movies used to entail. Um, and but Hacksaw Ridge really brings it back uh, in a huge way. Um, I mean, again, it's not a movie that's like fun to watch. Um, cause it is like super intense, but it is, um, it was very emotional for me. Uh, well, the other thing I forgot to say, like before this was, I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of member, like there's a lot of membering in my list. Uh, and I think that Hacksaw Ridge made me member of, uh, movies that, you know, I used to go, that my dad used to take me to see, you know, all the like war historical movies like Saving Private Ryan and, um, a lot of Mel Gibson movies like The Patriot and We Were Soldiers and and stuff like that. Um, and I think this is just a really um, – it, it feels like a movie from a different time. Like it starts off and has a very like James Horner-ish uh, 90s, like so, so fucking earnest that people would probably like roll their eyes because it seems so cheesy now. But it like I don't know that really just like set the mood for this movie, and uh, it helps that uh, to quote to quote Sarah, it helps that it has that it's led by uh, <laughs> the most sensitive motherfucker, <laughs> Andrew Garfield. Um, <laughs> she meant that complimentary as well because Andrew Garfield just has that ability to uh, to to rein it in and to to make you feel all the feels, uh, and he's spectacular in this movie. Um, you know, it really celebrates, um, you know, this guy. And, and, you know, I don't know how much of it is accurate, but it feels authentic. Um, and it is very much a Mel Gibson movie. It's, like, super violent. Um, and it's there's a lot of, like, slow motion, like, like, uh, 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 oh, gosh, I can't, I totally blanked. But uh, there's a lot of, like, very, like, uh, like, you know, like, Jesus symbolism and stuff. But uh, it's all, like, it's all just really very well done and it has like a lot of really great oh i'm done it has a lot of really great performances <laughs> okay um, turn it off. don't you have a part two though <laughs> yeah sorry um <laughs> so hacksaw, hacksaw ridge uh i really enjoyed um and then the other one that i had for that was obviously uh the movie Bloodfather, which featured mel gibson in his sort of acting comeback and uh that that movie i think was my pick for like the best action film of the year it was definitely the most satisfying action film since the first taken um and it's very much of like the taken you know formula where you know mel gibson's daughter gets into trouble with some bad guys does she get taken 
Uh, she doesn't get taken, but... Um, but does Mel Gibson have a special set of skills? He does have a special set of skills. Uh, he does. Anti-Semitism, um, first and foremost. <laughs> <laughs> um, and knowing like, what women want. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, like, you know, his... He, you know, he's got, like, the, the crazy prophet Satan beard in it and his, you know, grovelly voice. Like, he's very much, like... He very much, like, inhabits this part, and I think what sets this movie apart from Taken is that, one, it's, like, very, very uh, bloody, and two, it's very funny, um, but it also doesn't make, like, the daughter character, like, kind of, like, whiny and dumb, like how Maggie Grace was in <laughs> the Taken movies. Like, the, the daughter is, like, very much like, hey, I fucked up. I, you know, can you help me out? I know I'm stupid. And then she, you know, goes along with it, and there's a lot of, like good banter between her and, and Mel Gibson. And, uh, it's a, it's a really fun movie. Uh, you know, Mel Gibson's had his troubles, but you know, you got, I look at it, you know, as I'm, I'm, you know, looking at the, uh, Mel Gibson, the actor and the, and the filmmaker. And I think he's still got it. You know, this movie, both of these movies, they Hacksaw Ridge proves that he's still great behind the camera and, and Bloodfather proves he's still great in front of the camera. And uh, I just, there were two really satisfying movies this year, and obviously it made sense to pair them up. So, yeah. Cool. It's uh, two films that I assume that both you and I, Stephen, have not seen. No, so Hacksaw Ridge is one I really wanted to catch up with before reviewing, doing the end of the year review, and it, I just couldn't make time for it. But from everything I saw, it, it, it really sounds like it, uh, not, not only could it be as good as a thing like Saving Private Ryan, but it might even solve some of the problems I have with movies like that, where they glorify to the extent of being too happy and pristine. And this movie does not seem happy and pristine at all. <laughs> this seems like a really gritty war movie. And I, in, in oh, general, yeah. I appreciate that a lot. I mean, it has that, that sort of happy, not happy, but like I said, very earnest tone, you know. Mm -hmm. But the yeah, like the all of the war scenes are very, very intense and realistic and serious and it's it's pretty impressive that it was made he only had like a 50 million budget but it looks like way more expensive than than a lot of the the blockbusters that came out this year hmm. so yeah we well, made the good. he made the graphic war scenes so realistic by actually killing the people and he didn't have to pay them so he was able to stretch <laughs> that 50 million pretty well he did that with yeah. apocalypto too i think <laughs> yeah um but yeah, I, I didn't see that film. But a film that I did see, I put it my number eight. Convenient, right? Um, for my number eight, it's another film that, like Arrival, I did have problems with, right? This isn't a perfect film. But it is a film that was very interesting to me. And it is a film that shows off the craft of a type of film that isn't made a lot nowadays. Um, and it's a film that, regardless of whether the story is as deep as I'd like it to be, it is an amazing thing to watch and a beautiful film to see. And that is Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we're not seeing a lot of great stop motion work uh, done anymore, but Leica continues to do great things. I wasn't a huge fan of Box Trolls, but uh, everything they do is visually interesting and it is like people doing great work. And uh, it is, it, it played at criminally few theaters here in San Francisco. Um, like, it was hard to actually find a screening of it. And even though I did struggle with um, some of the, the lack of depth in the story itself, it was still a beautiful film, and I'm glad I saw it, and I wish that more people had seen it. 
and that's why it gets my number eight. Uh, yeah, Kubo was easily the best animated movie of the year by far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Laika always, I mean, I love all their movies. I think they're continually making movies the way kids' movies should be done, which is, like, sophisticated but not annoying. And it's also, like, there's always stuff in it that's, like, pretty, that's kind of fucked up, you know? Like, you need you need some fucked up shit in your kids' movies. You know, you need to, you need to scare them a little bit. Like, if you're not, you know, scaring a child in a, in a children's point? movie, you know, like, what, you know, yeah, what's the point? Like, yeah. I, I feel like that, you know... You, you need that sort of and there's a there's a lot of there's some scary shit in Kubo like I thought like the the uh, the two witches you know oh, that yeah. like when they enter like their entrance that was that was that was very scary that was the good stuff right it, it definitely yeah. had that had that nice creepy factor I really enjoyed the visual elements of this movie and I also think so lots of people are comparing Moana to Mulan in like how do you correctly do a sort of animated movie about a very different culture i feel like they should be comparing kubo because kubo blows a movie like mulan out of the water in the like oh yeah in the sensitivity and the way it really grabs the art form that it's dealing with and turns it into a beautiful craft um i also had a i had a bit of trouble with the message of the movie like i kind of had i, I had trouble following all of the story the script didn't quite work for me but i think it, it was easily the most beautiful animated film that i've seen not only this year but in quite a long time yeah so and yeah I, completely I think, deserving and i think actually narratively moana borrows a lot from the structure of kubo mm. it's about a person who goes off and has to find these like different objects to help them complete their journey to to write something that has been wrong like it's it's funny like i told my family i went i went and saw over thanksgiving vacation i think with my family i saw moana and i was like have any of you guys seen Kubo and the Two Strings? I think you should go see that movie because yeah. I think yeah. this film owes a lot to it. But, yeah. And yeah, we, I mean, we, I... should, we should be clear. Some people who worked on that movie might be listening to this. So shout out to former Leica employees. <laughs> I think that, you know, uh, Leica has, you know, a lot of people harp on their movies because, like, the stories aren't that great or whatever. Um, you know, since... Everyone, I'm not. I don't care about plot most of the time. So <laughs> we, we know that's all good. That's all good for me. Uh, I mean, because I I do think that they they do a, a really really great job of taking a very simple story and then elevating it to something you know better. Because I mean, I I, I think that the the visuals alone are just surpasses any other you know flaw if there is any in the movies uh, that they do. Uh, I mean, especially in Kubo, because there's a lot of, like, really intricate action scenes in that movie, and you're just sitting there like, I don't know how... Like, this feels like it took an eternity to make. Like, it just feels like, you know, it it really just has this, uh, like, handcrafted... Obvious, I mean, very <laughs> obvious. But there's, like, you can feel the you effort can, you can, in the movie. It's very tactile. It's, yeah, it's you there can on feel the it. screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, um, I mean, that's always just, I think that is the thing that just makes it so so good and appreciative, you know. Yeah. Anyway. All right, cool. So uh, I think that rounds off our number eights. It is time to get into our number sevens. Steven, what was your number seven film of 2016? So normally in this slot, I would put the Steven isn't as snobby as everyone thinks. Sometimes he watched a movie reviewers actually saw award where I would put like a blockbuster in there that I loved 
this year did not have many blockbusters that I could rightfully put on a list like this. Like it was kind of a weird year. Like well, you did civ- like Civil Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't put like Doctor Strange or Civil Bro or anything. Like there was just nothing that was like overwhelmed me that much. That was also a nice big film. So instead, I'm making this the Airplane Award, which is movies that I saw on an airplane, um, which is a similar one. Like it, it has some kind of mass appeal. A uh, lot of runners-up, so I'm just going to run through these without even saying much about them. Uh, Eddie the Eagle was probably the most pure dose of happiness I've had all year. That was such a wonderful airplane movie. Um, Born to be Blue, I think Carson made fun of, but that was a movie that just, in the quietness, <laughs> in the quietness of just having headphones and sitting and focusing, the story of Chet Baker, I think, was just a wonderfully dramatic one, and Ethan Hawke just completely nails that character. Uh, Zootopia I watched for a third time on an airplane (laughs) and it still made me cry so there's some deep emotion in that movie the one I'm giving this to though is Hail Caesar because this is the one film that survived repeat viewings this year not only with the emotions intact but with my love of the movie actually getting bigger Um, the Coen brothers have just built such a wonderful it's cheesy to say a love letter to cinema but that's what it is it's a the the joy of this movie and the magnificence really builds over time. And watching it again, the moment I knew what scene I was about to watch, I would just get this thrill of being like, yes, this is going to happen again. And uh, I love the Coen Brothers style. I love the the earnestness mixed with the kind of deep sarcasm that they bring to the screen. I thought I just think it's a hilarious movie. It's an impressive movie. It's a very fun movie. And uh, yeah, I, I love it. I hope... I hope it doesn't get completely forgotten just because it came out so early in the year because it really stands up to multiple watches. Yeah, it's it's, it's a film that I had a lot of fun with. It is weird, like, in, in a post-Trumbo viewing world, um, which Trumbo isn't even a film that I, like, particularly like that much, but, like, in the context of that film covering the same, like, dealing with the same subject matter... For some but you're reason, talking it, about the plot, and the plot does not matter in this movie. I, I, it, this is Christopher <laughs> Schmazy. Like the plot affects me. Like I, it was it was an incredibly fun watching experience. But I felt a little let down that they didn't like. They're like, we're gonna bring up these things and then not deal with them at all. And I was like, oh well, there was a movie that already dealt with this. <laughs> you just described every Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Carson. I mean, yeah, I mean, when we talked about Hell Caesar, I mean, I loved Hell Caesar. I have way better than Trumbo. I know I mentioned that in the review. Um, I mean, and also I thought it was kind of weird, you know, that it was coming out in February and they almost, like, peop, like critics and, and even the studio kind of seemed to regard it as like a lesser Coen Brothers. Like, this is like, you know, like their burn after reading, like they've got all these big stars. And I, I really don't think it was like that. I mean, I think it was very... Uh, you know, I don't want to say it's like a it, – it was not like a trifle. I don't think any of their movies are a trifle, but it definitely was not uh, – like I'm sure if people went into it, it was not like this wacky like big star comedy that they were expecting. Um, mm. It was a lot different. Um, and then um, Zootopia I liked and uh, what was the other one? The, uh, Eddie the oh, Eagle and Born to be Blue. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Born to Be Blue. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see Born to Be Blue, but uh, I don't know. It, it, it kind of. I, I, I saw that trailer a lot, and I was just like, I don't know if I can do it. But I did see Miles Ahead, the Don Cheadle one. Mm-hmm. That was dope. That was cool. So I don't know. 
if uh, that means anything. But <laughs> I like. I just like, wanted to I, say that. I, do, I, I, I mean, the, he does make an appearance in Born to Be Blue, so there's like yeah. they're both in the uh, the Miles Davis cinematic universe. <laughs> because I feel like Born to Be Blue. I mean, I, again, I haven't seen it, but it feels like a, a more traditional biopic. Like Miles Ahead was like a very like like coked out like. Uh, so you know, this only... this isn't cokey the way I know the premise of Miles Ahead. It isn't cokey like that, but it does have a kind of film within a film structure that I think is. It isn't as traditional as you might yeah. expect it to be. But Born to be Blue just looks so terrible. Like, the actual look of the movie did not... It looked like it took place now, whereas Miles Ahead actually looked like it took place in the time period it was supposed to be. Yeah, you, you should watch yeah. it and see. I think you will find nuggets that you like, at least. But... Yeah, maybe. Speaking of I don't know. nuggets that you like, <laughs> what, what is your number seven nugget? <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, well, I'm I'm definitely sure it's not going to be on anyone else's list. But uh, I uh, so last year on my list, I had this direct uh, this director's film, and I uh, talked about how I how excited I was for his upcoming feature that was coming out this Christmas. I don't know if you can guess. But, collateral uh, beauty. <laughs> <laughs> it was not collateral beauty that did not make the cut, unfortunately. But uh, it was Assassin's Creed. Um, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was Assassin's Creed. I feel like every year you have this like crazy wild card that you just throw out. Where I, I refuse to believe you actually like the movie. I Chris still can't wrap his mind around some of these choices. Like I don't. Are you I inside the Animus know right by now? now. But um, anyway, this is uh, Justin Kurzel, Mary, uh, Michael, Marion Fassbender, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> that would be the Marianne, most amazing actor in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and Marion Cotillard, they all got back together. Might be the sexiest actor in the world. Too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously Macbeth was on my list last year. Uh, so they got back together for Assassin's Creed. Um, and it is uh, definitely... Uh, <laughs> It, it's definitely one for the books. Like I, I think that uh, that um, there was a there was a quote from Jordan Hoffman on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and it said like it said like a film bound to please no one. And I was like, <laughs> challenge I think, accepted. I was like, I think I found uh, I think I found true love. Um, <laughs> yeah, like this was this was a really great movie. It's very. I mean, I know that uh, that Ubisoft pretty much funded this movie, and they even came out and said, like, we know this movie is going to tank. We literally just made it to try and boost awareness on the games. Um, I have not played the games, but uh, if they are an ounce as, as cool as this movie, uh, I can see why they're very popular. But uh, this movie just exudes just coolness like they should have just called it aesthetic creed because it is <laughs> the slickest looking fucking movie this year like uh it is so awesome and i'm gonna go out uh and and be a little bold and say that adam arkapa the cinematographer uh he is the closest thing that we have to the next roger deakins and this movie is fly as fuck and justin kurzel's uh like mad style is all over this movie. It feels very much like if Ridley Scott just did a ton of coke and he did directed the Prince of Persia movie, uh, <laughs> kind of would come out. And we added like a shit ton more fog and a really booming score. Uh, once again, Justin Krozel's brother Jed 
uh, tuning up this flick, and uh, it sounds awesome. And it's very reminiscent of, like, Ridley Scott, like, Kingdom of Heaven Ridley Scott. Uh, so, uh, sorry. And 1492 Ridley Scott. Um, and, yeah, it's it's very, like, it's too weird to ignore. Like, it, it has, like, it offers something that most big-budget blockbusters just don't offer up. And it's very interesting. It's very, very throwback, it feels like, because, you know, it's taking itself very seriously, but it's also very silly, you know, simultaneously. And then and the other thing I'll say is that this movie has a just a stacked fucking cast, like Fassbender, Cotillard, who, uh, if you're as big a fan as I was uh, of her Talia al Ghul in The Dark Knight Rises, she basically just gets to play that for an entire movie, like with crazy robotic eyes and just like, kill them, kill them all, like that. Like, so I love the <laughs> shit out of that. So we get, that's all over this fucking movie. Um, and like Jeremy Irons, Brendan Gleeson, Charlotte Rampley, Michael K. Williams. Uh, this is a, this is a crazy ass movie and uh, it deserves to be seen for sure. Yeah, it, it, it's one that, that I was kind of excited for. I think this December was an extremely uh, packed and busy month um, for me. And I think uh, Stephen was traveling a little bit. I was traveling. Um, didn't get to see it, but I feel like like Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, was like a big movie that was in the early days of when the three of us were doing the podcast mm-hmm. together. And I felt like it, I, I, it, I still regret that we didn't have the time to see and record a review of this. If for nothing more than to bring back our, our <laughs> magic, yeah, yeah, like I, I, I just feel like we we missed out on being able to talk about it. I still haven't seen it. I still want to see it. I still haven't played the games. Um, but uh, it is odd though that if like if Ubisoft really wanted to push so hard on this film to to pimp the games, I feel like they've been releasing an Assassin's Creed every year for the last several years, and they didn't release one this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like they took time off to make the movie. Well, and not only that, but they chose, like, award season to release it, which seems like a kind of weird weird call, right? Yeah. Like, you could well, put mean, it in one of the dull periods when it would get attention, yeah. like the Warcraft movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, they, I guess they just didn't really care and thought, well, there's going to be a lot of eyes at Christmas time, and hopefully maybe it'll get some extra attention. But, um, I mean, I am glad that they allowed Justin Kurzel to make the movie that he wanted to make because it very clearly has a vision, and I think that's what elevates it more than just, you know, like a Prince of Persia, like a typical summer blockbuster. Um, And all the, like, the ancestral flashback stuff is crazy. Like, it's so good, and the fact that it all takes place, or it all is in, because uh, it takes place in the Spanish Inquisition, and everyone talks in Spanish. Like, that's, it's so weird. It's so ballsy to me. <laughs> it's so weird. I've never been in a place where people talk no, no, in Spanish. No, no, but I mean, I like, mention in Mustang, they all talk in Turkish, just in case. You know, I mean, but like, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, in, in a movie like this, you know, you're just, you just assume that like, in these flashbacks, they're just going to be talking English, you know, or whatever, in a mm-hmm. Spanish accent or whatever, but no, but like, Fassbender and then his uh his his the the girl who plays like his uh fellow creed member who's the the uh the maid in the lobster like they go full in and just talk spanish like it's like it's just weird that like you're not used to seeing that where it's like okay we're going to read subtitles for like half the movie you know and it's like well, I, I you think know they they're act- trying to yeah I think they actually planned on releasing it early next year but then when Trump won, they were like, well, we can't release this movie that's mostly in Spanish next year. Mm-hmm. Zing. <laughs> I'm just excited for this movie to take me higher to the place where blind men see. 
Chris. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. I said it's a Creed <laughs> reference, right? Yeah, it's a Creed <laughs> reference. I know songs. Uh, but yes, on to my number seven of 2016. Uh, my number seven of 2016 is a film that I think like is arguably one of the most ambitious, one of the most complicated narratives, one of the most interesting films that's come out this year, and that is The Handmaiden. Um, this movie was like one of the like the genuinely most interesting, most uncomfortable <laughs> slash most compelling watches of the entire year. Um, watching this film, it was the only film that I went on like a, like an honest to god roller coaster as I watched it. Like watching it, being like I'm not really into this movie, and then being like oh oh I see what you did there. Flipping like constant moments being flipped on its head. It's sort of broken into like three. Uh, narratives that are all part of the same narrative and just each time adding on what you've watched before and uh, it's just it's it's one of the most compelling things that I've seen all year and it's one of those films that it's hard to recommend to people because you're asking them to come in and sit through some some very uh, very interesting stuff, um, but I think if, if, if the right person is watching it, it is it is a just just an amazing watch. And I walked out of it just going like, "That was a fucking movie right there." Yeah, yeah I, I I completely agree. I mean, it, this was one of those movies that I was sad I could not fit onto my list. It just didn't happen to make room. But it it, it was great. It was such a full cinematic experience. Just a very a very movie movie, right? Like just a very meaty one where the, the visuals are striking and just the, the tone is wonderful and the plot is thick and heavy. And it, it, it's an erotic movie. Like there's no way not to say it. Like I feel like any critic who doesn't mention that, by the way, this is like a very erotic film, they're just bullshitting you, right? They're, like, they're being like, blue is the warmest color is really about life and finding yourself. Like, no, dude, there's, there's a 10-minute Kundalinga scene. I, like you have, to, you have to be okay with that. Um, I, I will never think of thimbles the same way again. <laughs> I, I do think in, in terms of that kind of like eroticism, this definitely is a kind of take back, you know, power to the people type movie where it, I, I don't want, I don't know if that I want to call it feminist because like a, a guy directed it. So it, it's still there, but it, it did have a kind of like, fuck yeah attitude, right? Where you, uh, it, I, I liked it. I thought it was great. And, and we, uh, we we saw it with a third person, and 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 I I won't name the person, but they got up to like use the restroom or something, and they walked back in right in the middle of the most like gratuitous scene in the entire film, mm-hmm. and it was just it was just an amazing moment to just walk back into a theater that's completely silent, <laughs> and then sit down and pull it back a bag of popcorn. Us, the only people under it. the age of sixty five in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds very annoying. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you know, was it I, whatever? Um, I, I I thought the movie was pretty fun. Um, I'm um, actually surprised you only thought it was pretty fun. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, I do, I'm not gonna lie. Like, yes, there was some. Yes, there's some sexy times in it, and it's <laughs> yes. I enjoyed watching it. You know. Whatever. Um, no, I mean it, it's a it's a it's a fun movie. Um, I didn't think it was as good as Old Boy, but I, you know, um, but uh, I liked it. I didn't think it was as good as as some, as as you guys or other people have, are saying because it has shown up a lot um, on on some top ten lists. Um, and I laughed because there was a I think it was on Joe Blow like there was a comment 
on it was just like finally someone recognizing the handmaiden like bro where have you been bro do you only look at this one site like <laughs> um so yeah uh yeah, I mean, I, 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 there isn't much else to say other than, I mean, I liked it, but I wasn't like, I wasn't, you know, head over heels with it. I'm so. excited for the crossover OJ Handmade in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, the way that, you know, a lot of people were, were, were listing these movies, it felt like that. You know, there was a lot. It was like OJ Handmade in Wiener. <laughs> all, this, all the sexual movies, all the sexual movies got, got the, you know, top honors this year. Mm. Yep. And speaking of sexual movies, mm-hmm. Stephen, what is your number six film of the year? Mine is the most sexual film. So th- this is the last of the named awards category. So you won't have to deal with runners up after this. Um, so this award is the slow down and smell the melancholy award, which is just like a film, <laughs> a, qui- a quiet <laughs> film that is not pushing narrative forward at you all the time. It's just kind of basking in its own tone. Um, the runner-up for this award, which I am kind of shocked did not make my list proper, is Manchester by the Sea. Um, but it's like this is getting plenty of love. It doesn't need it. It doesn't need me to help it at all. Um, I mean, Manchester by the Sea was a I thought a great exploration of grief, like the quiet banality of grief, the way it creeps up on you, the way different people face it in different ways, whether you keep it inside, whether you lie about it, whether you pretend you're all right, and whether all of those coping mechanisms are actually fine. Like I think. It, 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 it's a wonderful character study, and it doesn't put too much judgment on it. It just lets the characters be who they are. Chris and I talked about it at length already. Um, but the oh, film yes. I am giving this to, <laughs> which Chris and I talked at length, but Carson hasn't heard yet, is uh, the movie Patterson, actually. Uh, so Patterson is the film by Jim Jarmusch uh, about Adam Driver as a poet, like the poet laureate of Patterson, which is where William Carlos Williams grew up. And this is a film which not only communicated the slow tone but it actually forced me to slow down as a viewer it this was the movie equivalent of a poem that just made me pause and reflect and enjoy the enjoy the visuals and the details that the director was bringing to the screen and i thought it just had that that perfect dash of like beauty and mystery and whimsy and jolting visuals that will stick with you because they stick out from this otherwise ordinary world uh I compared it in our conversation to Calvary as a movie that is very play-like and a movie where characters from this kind of fantastical world come out from the background, say their line, and then disappear, and you're just watching this main character of Patterson evaluate this world and find the beauty in it and find the rhythm of it and feel subtle dread as it starts to erode. So I, th- this has everything I really liked about Broken Flowers, but it has, I think, a lot more soul than that movie did. It, re- it really... It struck a chord in me in just the act of slowing down and appreciating the day-to-day life. So I really like this movie, Patterson. It's out now. Yeah, I mean, there... I, oh, oh, go ahead. No, I, I fucking... I love Patterson so much. Um, and I'm not the biggest Jim Jarmusch fan, but I think this one is just the easiest movie to watch. Like, it just washes over you. It's so wonderfully charming. Like... Adam Driver in this movie is everything. Like he is has like the most charming, laid back, cool guy performance uh, since Bobby Cannavale in The Station Agent. Like it's so effortlessly charming. Like I and 
it's a movie that is structured in a way that, you know, you're kind of going through Patterson's life, weekly life, and um, it doesn't feel repetitive. It's like set in the real world, but it's that heightened reality. You know, there's all these things, um, you know, so it feels more like a movie. It's not like this uh, annoying, like, oh, it's gritty, bro. It's supposed to feel real, you know? Um, and then, you know, there's obviously a vision there and, uh, I, yeah, I like, and there's a, there's a scene at the end of, or towards the end of Patterson. Um, you can probably guess what it is. I won't say, but it is a thousand, like 10,000 times more heartbreaking than anything in Lion or La La Land. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know the one you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is just soul crushing and adam driver just plays this entire movie uh note perfectly mm-hmm. yeah i love patterson and i love manchester by the sea too i think you know uh casey affleck my boy man like he's he the performance of the year for sure um <laughs> definitely not a movie you want to watch again but man kenneth lonergan he knows how to make these sentimental dramas without feeling overly sappy and stuff i mean it's it's like pretty much taking the best elements of of margaret and you can count on me and putting them in a blender and you get manchester and adding casey affleck which is always an added bonus and unless and you're you chris get Man- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unless you're actually we're, we're gonna we're gonna have the biggest test next year which is that film that is casey affleck and rooney mara like oh yeah a ghost story a ghost story this is going to be the test whether like the presence of Rooney Mara can override the presence of Casey Affleck well Which... it didn't work the it didn't work the first time so <laughs> <laughs> true but I, I technically didn't watch that movie even though I did um, yeah I remember you saying that yeah yeah but anyway I mean I I definitely saw why Chris I listened to the review I definitely saw why Chris did not like uh, Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I mean, I think it's become very self-evident that just Chris has like his taste in movies just. I think it's just, <laughs> it's I've, just I've, terrible. <laughs> I've I've settled with the fact that they're just wildly mediocre. Like he doesn't want to venture too far out of the box. Doesn't want to. What are you do, talking about? Like he just you know like he has some breadcrumbs to find his way back, but he doesn't want to go too far. If we go if we go too far, like a like a fox catcher. <laughs> or you know a really like subtle movie like that. Uh, I can't remember the other the other. Oh, like The Witch or something, um, or like Manchester by the Sea. Then it then it, I don't know. It's weird because I thought it was weird that that Chris's complaints were that it was like not cliche enough. But I think that was like <laughs> that like, I wasn't think that exactly was like, that wasn't exactly my complaint. I, that was just I thought that it being more cliche would have corrected some of the problems. I think the, it, it's two separate. You, you, I, I talked for an hour about it. I, I, I you would be surprised, like that. Chris was moderately warm on Patterson. When when you listen to the review, I think you'll see that yeah. they can be subtle. He, Stephen he can and, be okay Stephen and I already recorded like an hour of of Patterson talk, and though I did abstain from giving it a verdict at the end of the film <laughs> due to personal <laughs> reasons, um, it is yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll hear but it, Carson. I, I just, I just think that the the appeal of Manchester by the Sea is that it doesn't hit those cliche uh, beats and stuff. You know, like that, like that scene, like that you like took issue with, where he's like talking to the 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 mom and he's just not saying anything. You know, like I remember in the theater watching that, and I was like, I, I, 
after the movie, I told Sarah, I was like, man, my favorite part was when Casey Affleck in that scene where he which just wasn't <laughs> talking to, to the to the to the, the the mom, I was like, that was just, I was like so relatable. And she was like, well, yeah, because that's fucking you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, um, that's, I guess, I don't know. But like, uh, yeah, like I just, I don't know. That's felt like so realistic to me. Um, and like Casey Affleck is just like, he just has that ability to play this part. Like I couldn't see anybody else in that role, but Casey Affleck. Or, or apparently you. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I, I it was just funny that I like I I responded to, the, to that scene. I was like, this feels, you know, like a like an authentic scene. And it was just funny hearing Chris say like you know, he is like an asshole in that scene or, or you know, whatever. But uh I'm not sure yeah. that's exactly a, a direct quote from me. Well, but. Yeah, yeah, it was you know. I'm I'm uh I'm colloquializing it or whatever, but uh I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of colloquializing. <laughs> I don't even know if that's segment. the correct uh, verbiage or whatever, you know, man. What was, your, know. What was your number six film, Carson? Um, okay, so uh, last year I had the movie Buzzard uh, really high up on my list. Uh, and this year, uh, the writer-director, uh, Joel Petrikas... I think that's how you say his name. I don't know for sure. I think so. But he yeah. uh, he released another movie called The Alchemist Cookbook uh, this year, which is a horror movie. Um, and I uh, will just read the IMDb plot synopsis because I think that'll be the most succinct, uh, which is suffering from delusions of fortune. A young hermit hides out in the forest, hoping to crack an ancient mystery, but pays a price for his mania. Um, and I won't. Say, I think this is a movie like that is best to go in, uh, you know, as cold as possible. Uh, I will say that it is, uh, pretty scary. I thought it was, I thought it was effectively scary. Um, and, and, and it has like a very, uh, ambiguous type of, of vibe. Um, and the, there's really, it's really just, uh, like a one, like a, there's really like one actor in the movie. It's a, there are two total, but the, you know, majority of the screen time is, Dedicated to the main character, who's played by uh, shit, uh, Ty Hickson, he's really good in this. And then he, he has his brothers played by Amari Cheatham. They're like unknown actors, but they're really great, like very charismatic presence. And um, yeah, like I, I basically like to sum up the movie. It's like if you remember, like member, member in <laughs> um, in Signs. When Joaquin Phoenix is watching... Remember the uh, baseball bat? <laughs> remember Swing Away, Meryl? Um, <laughs> if you remember the scene where he's watching the, the TV broadcast and, and the alien pops out, you know? And I just remember seeing that in theaters and going like, oh, shit. Like, that was... I remember being like, that was fucking scary. Um, it's kind of like that scene distilled into 82 minutes. Um, like, that that type of, like, oh, shit, terror um so yeah i'm i'm just i'm very uh excited to see whatever uh whatever uh joel petrikas does next like he just has a a really cool vibe and and uh yeah like uh, this was as good as buzzard if not better 
Interesting. I, I still never checked out Buzzard, despite really wanting to. So now I have two movies I have to check out. <laughs> but yeah, from everything always... I've heard about this and Buzzard, like I, I am excited to watch both. I, I'm sad that this was a year that I didn't, I didn't have as much iTunes rental time as I normally do to kind of fill the end of the year with all the movies I missed. Yeah, this one definitely you can check out on VOD. I think it was only released on VOD. Maybe, like, I really didn't even see it in any theaters, like, around here. So, um, but yeah, you can check it out on VOD. Definitely, definitely check it out. Well, Steven's got, like, 47 hours worth of plane flights coming up in the next few weeks. So, (laughs) he's got plenty of things to do and plenty of iTunes rentals to try to get. Yeah. Well, that's 147 hours. What what was the movie? 127 27. God damn it. (laughs) You can cut that. <laughs> no, it's staying in. Everything stays. Sub in oh, my like jinkies or whatever we did in the lion review instead <laughs> of the actual cursing. Well, I haven't seen the Alchemist Cookbook, but I did see another film that involved people hiding out in the woods, um, mm. and there was no witches in it. Okay. Just so you know. um, I was, I was going to be pretty surprised. <laughs> no, no, no. There was no witches. There was no Black Phillips. There was no anything like that. But there was... A cute little kid having to struggle in the forest with uh, somebody watching out for him. And that is Hunt for the Wilder People. Mm. Um, This is a film that, like, we sort of, I feel like we saw it sort of on a lark. We were just like, oh, people say this is kind of funny. Let's go see it. And it it turned out to be quite majestical. Yeah. Which is uh, a word used in the film. This is going great. Um, this is the last of the films that I'm like Swish. sort of fitting on the list based on just things that I really like this year, but I don't care that they're in the list. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hunt, Hunt for the Wilder People was just, it was a film that I, I watched without really, like, very few films I walk in with zero expectation, like, without, without at least some sort of expectation, sorry. Um, this is a film that I just watched as a way to kill time, and I was pleasantly surprised by. Had a great time watching it. It was very funny. Um... It was just one of those films that uh, you can put on just to just to have a good time in a different way than like Lion, where you put on just to feel good. It's like this is like a film that you put on to like have a genuine, fun, enjoyable time of just a, just a crazy little uh, gem of a film. So, yeah, I, I I completely agree. We actually never really talked about this after watching it, at least not at length. <laughs> um, I I found it charming as hell too. It it was. Yet again, it suffered from the overhype syndrome that has been a big problem this year for me, um, where it was a film that I, I thought was completely lovely and charming. I was very happy with it. And it just it, it hit that nice, comfortable range, but I was expecting it to hit a higher peak than that. So I think it, it dampened a bit. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just a, a purely fun movie. I smiled so much through, <laughs> through this movie. A lot, a lot of funny little moments in it. Yeah, it, it it was pretty dope. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I was pleasantly surprised because I was not a big fan of uh, what we do in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this movie though was was completely charming. Uh, Julian Dennison, who played Ricky Baker, uh, <laughs> he is the uh, anti dumb wiener kid. Uh, he's just <laughs> totally he's he's. He's perfect. He's just perfect in this movie. Um, and uh, it was great to see Sam Neill back on the big screen in a, in a, in a big part. And uh, I'm really looking forward to see uh, 
what uh, Taika Waititi does with uh, the next uh, Thor movie. I think that'll be uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we have passed the halfway mark, uh, which doesn't bode Woo! well for how this is going. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll push. We'll push it more. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna run out of battery. Make, make it down like to two minutes and thirty seconds or something. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but we're, we're we're now into our top uh, top fives, and this is where I start to care. Um, it's so... probably also where we start to get a little redundant, <laughs> so we might save some time. Yeah, um, redundical. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, Stephen, begin us in the second half, the home stretch. All Let right. us know what your top <clears throat> number five film was for the year. Okay, so this is a film where I don't think I'll be redundant with Chris because I watched him watch it last night. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, but boy. My number five, and this, this is the last film on my list that I am, I'm including because I love it and I love the craft of it, but it is not because of the just pure Stephen emotional jolt that it gave me. Uh, and that is the film Moonlight. Uh, by Barry Jenkins, who is a director that I like very much. After watching this movie, I went and watched Medicine for Melancholy, which I also thought was a just a lovely little movie. So I, I'm really excited to see what he does next. Um, th- this is one of those films that has been talked about so much at length that, like Manchester, I kind of don't want to waste too much time singing its virtues. Um, I think it's the perfect coming-of-age story. It's a wonderfully small, heartfelt memoir about a life in poverty, which, as we learned in Lion and other things, is a, a subject matter that definitely hits me very hard. Uh, I think you could consider this the perfect episode of The Wire, like season four, where it's all about the kids and growing up and what this lifestyle does to them. Um, it's just a really tiny love story, and it also just has this kind of stylistic confidence that movies like Clouds of Sils Maria, for me, what really drew me into them were not just the talky moments, but the big bombastic orchestral moments where they just veer into the the fantastical and you just get that sense that it's a filmmaker that knows what he wants to show and he's willing to be wildly dramatic to get the point across. Um, I would call it a kind of European confidence, if that makes sense. I feel like American movies don't have this quite as often. Uh, yeah, this is just like a a lovely three-act film that has characters that you care about and very compelling performances and a beautiful visual style and a very personal story. So I, I thought it was wonderful. I don't even remember what Carson thought of Moonlight, actually. Uh, I think we the, I think we should all aspire to be as cool as Barry Jenkins. Um, I, I liked... I loved Moonlight. I liked, uh, loved it a lot. Um, and... Uh, I think that Moonlight achieved in uh, less time and less filmmaking time uh, the the same. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm phrasing this poorly, but I basically think it was a better version of Boyhood, and it was shorter in filmmaking and length, uh, running time. Um, I thought that like the three actors that portrayed uh, Chiron uh, were all just like. It was pretty incredible that like they they were all like on the same page, um, and Trevante Rhodes, who plays the uh, the older version of of Chiron, like he is destined to be a star, um, and he's already been cast in uh, Shane Black's Predator sequel, so that's gonna be that's gonna be dope. Um, Good follow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, it's it's really I I I wish Barry Jenkins would direct all dramas because. Th- Movies like this need to be as subtle and quiet as uh, his 
approach to them. Um, you know, it's a lot of the it's a lot of the reasons. You know, it's the big reason why I don't you know like you know why I had beef with movies like Selma and stuff because it's just so like it's so over the top and you know feels very Hollywood and, and off you know it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's a coming from a personal place. Um, you, you know, and I think the way to go is, is the way that Barry Jenkins went with, with Moonlight is that very subtle, quiet route, uh, in the same way that like Bennett Miller does with his movies and, uh, Jeff Nichols does. Um, yeah. So I just, uh, yeah, like his, his style is just so cool. And yeah, like, I, I think that the biggest takeaway from Moonlight is that it's, uh, is that it's like wonderfully subtle and that, uh, it really draws you in and, and yeah, it looks really good too. And like I said, all the acting is great, and uh, I'm ex- I'm excited to see what he does next for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a film that I I appreciated. Um, some of the complaints that I heard before I had seen the film, I think, are crazy talk. <laughs> um, Stephen and I talked in our lift home uh, after after the movie, um, but but I just it it didn't hit me the way it hit a lot of people who did really really appreciate it. Um, I think there are there are some genuine moments of of real greatness in it as a whole. Um, I don't. I'm. It's not the strongest film to me, um, but it is a film that I appreciate, and I, I definitely am glad that I did finally make it out to see it just barely last night. Um, but it's not going to make my list. But I'm I'm glad it's a film that was made. And I do think the Boyhood comparison is very apt. Um, I don't know where it would rank alongside Boyhood because it did a different thing for me, but I do think both portray kind of the beauty and melancholy of growing up in a really lovely way. And I do think Barry Jenkins did it in a more succinct way. I do think maybe something was lost if that were the story he wanted to tell, but I think he's telling a different story and he tells it very, very nicely here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I, I thought it was better than Boyhood, like way better, but, what do I know? Ooh, I well, know. speaking of better than boyhood, <laughs> I'm just going to do the worst transition every time as we go to as we go to Carson. Uh, Car- yeah, that's that's par for the course, you know. Carson, what was your number five film of the year? Um, well, guys, uh, number five, we're here. Um, probably the most controversial movie of 2016. Batman v Superman: Dawn I, of Justice. I knew it was going to be in your list. I, I knew just it. Didn't I know called where. it. I called yeah. it. Yep. Um, not much else to say. I've said, I, you know, jizzed all my praise all over it in our review. Um, I think the only thing I'll mention is that I do still like legitimately firmly believe that in many years time, uh, it'll be looked back to look back on. And, uh, I think it'll be regarded as, as at least an interesting failure. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I think that people will, will, will definitely go back to it and, and be like, yeah, that maybe this wasn't as bad as we were all saying, but, um, uh, it feels very much akin to Batman returns to me. Like where that movie was pretty heavily criticized when it came out, um, for being like way too dark for kids. And, um, it focused too much on the villains and, you know, that movie has definitely come around um, in the years since its release. I mean, even people this year, uh, like around the time Batman v Superman was coming out, were writing like retrospectives on how, uh, you know, how good Batman Returns was, how that it, it was an like it definitely had a unique 
interesting takes since uh, the first Batman, uh, the 89 Batman, like made so much money and was such a hit and that Warner Brothers just let, you know, Tim Burton come back and just go hog wild. Um, And I think that was kind of the case here where Man of Steel was a huge hit and Zack Snyder came in and he did his thing. Um, and it's, it's very much like Assassin's Creed. Um, and funnily enough, both starring Jeremy Irons or featuring Jeremy Irons. Um, but yeah, like it's, it has that, you know, that feeling of like, this is, you know, you're watching something on this massive scale that's offering up, uh, things that are way more interesting, you know, than, than your typical, you know, studio blockbuster. So yeah, of course it was going to be on here for sure. I mean, I, I don't know, Carson, that one day we will look back and think that it was not as bad as we remember. But I do know that there's even a 1% chance we have to take it as an absolute certainty. <laughs> See what I Good did there? Good reference. See what I did there? I, uh, it was a Lex oh. Luthor reference. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you, uh, you, know how, you know how well my memory is. <laughs> yeah, like you don't remember it was a terrible fucking movie. <laughs> No, Chris always pulls out like the most random quotes. Like it's it'll not be even like a random quote. It's no, it'll all be like... of Batman's character in the film. It's his entire we'll character. To... It's the most important we'll be... quote he says in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about like Adam Driver, and he'll be like the the he'll ha- he'll quote like the most banal quote from like Star Wars, and I'll just be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. What was that from? I don't remember. <laughs> So I, I already went uh, went on record in the Suicide Squad review as having at least fairly liked this film, and I stand by that. I I think it was significantly less boring than a lot of Marvel movies, and with with the time and distance that I had of watching it on a plane instead of watching it in theaters when it first came out, I think I was able to appreciate it well. Um, and do you, do you know if your plane version was the extended cut or was it, it was the, the regular one, not oh, the extended? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I enjoyed this just fine. It still, in my mind, wouldn't make anywhere near a, a list like this, but it was a perfectly perfectly pleasant superhero movie. I also don't know what all the hate is about. I thought it was totally fine. Well, I'm also one of the only people on the planet that like deeply, deeply, deeply loves Man of Steel. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so... I mean, yeah. I mean, I liked it too. I mean, I like all of Zack Snyder's movies, and that's kind of like that's kind of like liking corn in 2016 <laughs> or something. You know, it's kind of just like frowned upon or something. Twist. But who cares? Fuck, fuck the haters, bro. He definitely is the corn of filmmakers. <laughs> uh. I was trying to talk up Alzagahul to people at the office here, like just the other day at lunch, Carson. Of of what? I, I was trying to talk up Owls of Gahul to to people oh. while here at the office. Yeah, yeah, dude, that movie that movie's awesome too. <laughs> and I remember I remember when that was that was coming out, and I was like, man, I'm so pumped to see Leg- or Owls of Gahul, and people were giving me like the most shit. They're like, what the fuck are you on? And I was like, fuck you, Zack Snyder, slow motion owls. Yep. <laughs> Get on my level, bro. Yep, yeah, no, I'm a fan of the Z yeah. nights. Oh yeah, I'm like, this is why I left Facebook because too many people this give me is shit. Why I left Facebook. The, the owls yeah. were the last straw. They were the guardians of Facebook, and when they left, <laughs> I left. Yeah. What did he yeah. say? What did he post? He posted, "We're halfway there." <laughs> no, I'm legit. Like, 
like I remember there was this guy I knew, and like I had a status update where I said like I'm most movie the you know I'm looking forward to like I remember looking forward to Owls of Gahul. And then this is the same guy who shit on me because I was looking forward to the social network. I was like, fuck you. This is David Fincher. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Anyway, again, that's a deep cut for me. Thanks. <laughs> Speaking of deep cuts, Chris, <laughs> actually, one movie cut you the deepest. Actually, <laughs> speaking of deep cuts is actually a good segue because the film that is my number five contains The first cut a deep is the cut. deepest. Wait, what? Mm. I said the first cut is the deepest. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um... But no, uh, a character in this film receives a deep cut on his arm as he tries to pass things through a locked door in the green room. Mm -hmm. Um, The film, of course, is called Green Room. Um, But uh, I'm definitely a fan of uh, people stuck in one location type of films. And most of the time when you're watching these type of of, uh, horror suspense slash like danger for your main cast films... um, it is a bunch of asshole people who do something stupid and then get themselves in a situation that is out of out of their control and kind of things go crazy. This is a film where like no one within the context of this cast did anything wrong to get themselves into this situation. These are people who went they're in this little band. They they are they 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 just want to get their music heard. They go to a venue because they kind of just need the gig and while they're there one of them forgets his phone in a room, goes back in to get the phone, and oh shit, I see something. Now we're all stuck here. Shit's going down. Um, I, I really, really genuinely like this film. Uh, love the film. Uh, it uh, maybe you know maybe it was the maybe it has a little bit of a bump from going to see it at the Alamo Draft House with the Q and A with the late Anton Yelchin there. Um, Just like two weeks before he passed away. I yeah, think. I mean it was, it was really cr- recent. Yeah, really, really close to the time that he passed. Um, but it was a film that, like, I just, I had a great time with it. Um, the, the, like, neo-Nazi characters in this film are extremely frightening. Um, I, yeah, it's just, it, I, I had a, a great time watching this film. And it, it was one of those films where I don't feel, like, the characters are definitely not cut out to handle the situation they're in. But I don't feel the, the, the mistakes that they make within, the con- like, the context of the situation they're in, they don't feel like, characters making stupid decisions they're not necessarily making the right decision all the time but it feels like a person who is out of their elements making an honest decision that turns out to maybe not be the best decision and like when characters do things that you'd be like no no don't do that you don't feel they're making a stupid choice because the script deems that you feel it just because they they're just making a bad choice here or there right um it is yeah i i I love green room and uh i think it's it's definitely worth a watch for anybody out there who likes these type of films um yeah uh, well if you guys remember when we talked about green room um i said in the review that i wanted to see rob zombie's version of green room um <laughs> and you know what to indulge myself a little bit i got that version this year it's called when the rob, zombie re- <laughs> rob zombie released his movie uh called 31 um and it pretty much was Rob Zombie's Green Room, like what I wanted it to be. It was also kind of like Rob Zombie's uh, Hunger Games, Rob Zombie's The Purge, Rob Zombie's Ten Cloverfield Lane, Rob Zombie's Suicide Squad, Rob Zombie's American Honey, Rob Zombie's Funny Games. Did I already <laughs> now, say now that? you're just putting weird films together that don't make any um, sense. But there's, it's a lot of movies where like if you wanted to see Rob Zombie's version of it, like it's in this movie. And 
There's like a oh the thirty one is the, the be- different films that he's homaging. <laughs> but like in in like the beginning of the movie, there is like one of the villains in the movie is <laughs> I shit you not a Nazi, and like when they reveal him, he's not only a Nazi but he's a he is a Spanish speaking uh, dwarf dressed as Adolf Hitler. What? Um, and and when they reveal like his like uh, presence in his like little Nazi room, I legit like had to contain myself from squealing so hard because I knew right there I was like, oh, like this is it, like Just, I can't uh, wait to talk about on. this movie. Hold on, for um, the record, yeah. <laughs> Carson earlier stated that I can't possibly like anything of any value, yet he is touting. <laughs> A Spanish-speaking midget Adolf Hitler. Whoa, don't use that word. <laughs> Whoa. They're called Esperanto. <laughs> no, I didn't say that you didn't, uh, you know, appreciate anything of value or whatever. I just that you, you know, you, you, you stay pretty much in your, your parameter or whatever. I mean, I wouldn't expect you to, to, to watch something like 31 and enjoy it. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect many people to enjoy it. I mean... When I watch Rob Zombie's movies, I don't even know if I enjoy it some of the times. So like any, like I rest anytime, my case. Anytime I'm watching, I think that's the. I mean, that's the kind of the beauty of his movies is like it. Everything feels like first of all, uh, delightfully trashy and messed up uh, to the point where like I'm looking around in the theater and I'm like, should we be fucking watching this? Like this is fucked up. Um, so like I always get that. And then you vibe realize it's your like, living room, kind of, kind of the, Hodor, the Hodorowski vibe. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, it definitely. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I got what I, I wished for, I guess, this year with uh, with thirty one. So it's a happy ending, and I and I loved yeah. Green Room. That's another one that I kind of I struggled to not have on this list because it it really was just a wonderful pot uh, like pressure cooker type movie. I think my my only criticism really is if I could compare it to Jeremy Saulnier's other movie, Blue Ruin. I think it doesn't have the same level of dread. Maybe it's just because the punk aesthetic isn't as daunting to me as the backwoods aesthetic. Like it doesn't have that same kind of like real eerie eerie glow. But but yeah, I I, I love Green Room. It was a great it was great at doing what it did. Like a great genre flick. All right, number four. I'm I'm lo- I'm losing it, guys. We've been recording for an hour and forty minutes already. All right, so Stephen, what is your number four film of 2016? Uh, so number four is a film that I will spend very little time talking about because Christopher Schneezy is going to spend lots of time talking about this <laughs> later on at the list, uh, and that is a movie called Swiss Army Man, uh, which is also one of the rare films this year that I watched multiple times. I watched this twice in theaters because I came back with a friend to show him the movie as well. Um, I think it deserves its polarizing reputation. Like Chris has said in the past, I do not begrudge anyone who does not like this movie. Uh, To me, it was wonderful. It's a jubilant bromance between a loner and a farting corpse. It's like an indie that really, it tries to dare you to like it and then throws a pie at your face and a big loud fart whenever you try to like it. (laughs) It's like a bizarro where the wild things are, but instead of little childlike wonder than its repressed teenage manhood it's a this is a wholly unique film and i think the thing it sets out to do it does extremely well and to whatever demographic 
uh, the Daniels are speaking, I think it's going to resonate very strongly. And anyone who it doesn't resonate with will walk out thinking it was a joke or a South Park ripoff or like some kind of thing that's just trying to be funny. But to those of us who felt the inner repressed Paul Dano inside, I think this movie just had so much to recommend it. And I love that an original film like this could exist. So totally loved it. But I guarantee you, Chris, will be talking about it later. So <laughs> that's all we need to say right now. I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll wait till then to weigh on in on that. Um, so I guess my number four um, is a movie that uh, was announced, I guess, probably almost three years ago now, uh, back in 2014. I know what this is, and <laughs> and um, and I I knew right then and there that it was going to be. Uh, on 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 my top ten list of whenever it came out, I was I was kind of furious that I had to wait like a almost like a full two years for it to come out, uh, impatiently waiting uh, day by day. Uh, but of course, midnight by is, midnight. <laughs> uh, but of course, it is uh, Shane Black's The Nice Guys. Oh no, I got um, it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> um, I mean, what can be said about this movie other than it's it's pretty much, it's pretty much note perfect. Shane Black. Um, it's it's just a, an an amazingly fun movie. Uh, the performances are great. The writing and directing is as always great. Uh, Russell Crowe, Baby Goose, again <laughs> off the charts, off the charts chemistry. I wish that Nice Guys performed better so that we could see more movies with the two of them. Like I really. Uh, would totally be down to have it be like uh, like a lethal weapon where we get like four of these movies. Like I think if it had come out back in the eighties or nineties, like it totally would have been a success like that. Or at least like a Twenty One um, Jump Street, right? You you kind of think it would have had legs for something like that. Yeah, um, but again, it kind of you know it's it's a throwback to that that old style of filmmaking that's kind of gone away and that you know. Um, it's like too kind of cheesy for everyone now. Everyone's all serious. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what's not to love? It's the nice guys. So yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm sure, you know, uh, 2018 when the predator comes out, that'll probably be in the top five too. I'm just going to go on the record right now. (laughs) As long as they don't, uh, as long as they don't remove a bunch of digitally added laser beams pointed at, uh, (laughs) what's his nuts. I think it'll be better than that for sure. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Nice Guys was a film that I surprised both myself and Carson by really, really loving. Yep. Yeah, I I also loved it. It, it was hilarious. It, it was a very fun time at the movie theater. It was yet again one of the things that when I stared at my list, I was kind of angry that Nice Guys, it couldn't fit in the way that I would have wanted it to. But yeah. I'm, I'm totally glad it made a list. I thought this was a great movie. My number four time? Go for it. All right. So my number four is uh, The Neon Demon. Um, this is a film that, uh, yeah, I, I saw it at like an advanced screening here in the city, and I was really blown away with it. Um, I am sort of hit and miss with Nicholas Winding Ref and stuff, and uh, I kind of went into it not really optimistic, but just like I'm, I'm willing to see whatever he's going to put on the screen and see see how it goes. And I rolled the dice with it, and 
I thought it was like just a phenomenal take on just what what it is for like young women to walk into the modeling world and sort of just the way that that thing just eats them up. <laughs> and it I, I I really really love this movie. Like I it, I thought I thought it was amazing and um that's a great performance by Keanu Reeves. Um, like I, 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 I think, <laughs> knew that was going to be like, uttered. I, I, I think uh, the uh, the worst thing about this film is the casting and the lead. Like I, I just don't buy the way that the characters in the story perceive her, um, just as a as a as a physical woman, I guess. Um, but I think from from on on the whole, the entire the entire film, I just was blown away by it. I am legit shocked that this is that Chris enjoyed this movie. Um, <laughs> given the fact that there was such a fucking divide on Only God Forgives between us. <laughs> no, I legitimately hated Only God Forgives. Oh, I I know. Yeah. Um, um, I, I mean, I know that he, that he liked Drive and everyone liked Drive, but it was. I mean. I don't know, because I definitely feel like that the Neon Demon was uh, more akin to Only God Forgives than to Drive. I mean, it's just, it, it still blows my mind that people, like, didn't get that Only God Forgives was just as fucking weird as, like, the movies that he made, like, before Drive. <laughs> like, Drive like Drive just happened to be the first one, you know, that, that went mainstream. Um and yeah, like say, I guess you know everyone was just expecting Drive Two or whatever, but uh, yeah, um, and I, I don't know, like in terms of what you mean by, and I don't know if this is true, but I know that uh, Sarah did tell me that the movie does hinge on the fact that if you find Elle Fanning attractive or not, <laughs> like if you find her as attractive as she is in this movie, and I don't know if that's what you were alluding to, but um, I mean. I think that Elle Fanning is life like that. Like she is insanely attractive. Well, I, um, I'm also like six years older than you, <laughs> so so yeah. Like, like no, Elle Fanning could be his daughter, but but, but yeah, but she she could uh, quite literally. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but you know, but, <laughs> no, no, but but, but mean, so here, here's my thing: is I I don't buy her at all as that. I 100 percent believe the reaction to the other people to her. Like, it's one of those things where I overcame my lack of attractiveness to her because I believed what everyone else thought of her. And that, I think, is a testament to to the work of the filmmaker. And that, like, this this film deeply desert, dis, disturbed me and not from the scenes that disturb general audiences who see it. Like, the just the way people look at her and the way she how quickly she falls into this world. Like it, it just, I, I, it was just, it was just very, very compelling to me. I mean, there's a lot of, of dark satire in the movie for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think she was perfectly cast because she has that look of the like waif, like angelic, uh, you know, look that these models, have and of course you know how everyone is perceiving her in the movie and how that she's like this force of nature or whatever but i mean there is a lot of like of like like darkly darkly funny stuff in it like it is it is fun to hear 
people who just have no idea like who Nicholas Winding Refn is and to sit and watch this movie and be like, uh, like and like squirm, you know, in their seats because they are just they don't know what the hell they don't know what's going to hit them. You know, I, I actually told because like we uh, uh, me and the person I saw it with uh, were selected for <laughs> uh, for the um, for like the focus group at the end of the film. And one of the things that I commented on is that like the film was too short. Like I, I thought that it needed more time for her character to adjust to being in a world where she sort of sees herself as like the prime sought after commodity. Um, like mm. I, I would have watched a third 30 minute longer cut of this film and been more like uh, more invested in it. I mean, yeah, I would totally watch more of of that world for sure of any of his of his movies, and and it's and it's funny because I mean the movie is it's not you know it's not short like it is like two hours long, yeah. <laughs> um, and and yeah, I mean of course I would have watched many more hours of that of that world to be inside Refn's brain is a gift I think so um, I know that sounds like super dumb and pretentious <laughs> but. Um, I, I mean, I'm it, I'm compelled now to watch it. It, it. it seemed like it had a kind of dourness and a oh no, disturbingness it's, it's, that would have made me think it could not have broken the Schnazy uh, force fields. But the fact that it did and broke so high makes me feel like I have to give it a shot, even if my gut reaction is that I would not like it. Yeah, like I, I mean, I wouldn't even recommend it to you on the sense of like I think you will like it. I just thought it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The movie, the movie is very funny though. And Keanu Reeves is awesome in it. I can't believe he's in that movie. But anyway, <laughs> he, he's, I, he is ridiculous in this movie. He's so he's he's so good. I'm so glad that that he got to be. In like this I movie. almost feel like he's not in the movie. He actually manages a hotel or, or, or a motel, <laughs> and it was just they were filming on location, and didn't he didn't see the cameras. <laughs> So in in the spirit of moving things along, I'll push it forward with no segue to my number three, um, which is a movie we've already talked about, so I don't think too much has to be said. This is probably the last of the movies that Carson will disagree with me on, because I know that he disagrees Mm. with it. Uh, But this is the movie Arrival by Denis Villeneuve. And I think I went on the record on the podcast as saying that walking out of the theater, it was the biggest high I had had this year from watching a film. This was just the kind of movie that it wrapped so many different influences. It had this kind of very contact-like, pure, hard sci-fi feel. It had a very Terrence Malicky, dreamlike fugue through memory and loss. Uh, it had deep emotional drama. It had dread building. It had what I thought made Sicario for the first half so wonderful. And then it actually followed through on the things that I think made Sicario so promising, which was the light at the end of the tunnel. Like the thing, the thing after the dread, what do you search for? I, I thought this movie was a lovely puzzle. And I think you could, you could try to look at it as a Christopher Nolan movie, like an Inception type film, and then poke holes at it as a thing that tries to set up a puzzle that's easy or set up a thing that makes people feel clever by uncovering it. But I think that would be missing the point. I think this is a, it's just an artful, masterfully made movie. And it, it left me happy. It left me filled with emotion. It made me think about life in a different way. And yeah, I, I thought it was beautiful. And 
maybe the closest to a perfectly crafted movie that is on my list here in terms of the mass of people it managed to reach with the level of emotion that it managed to hit. Uh, my reaction walking out of Arrival was the exact opposite of Steven's. <laughs> like, I I haven't, like, I, I left that movie so cold. It very much like how when I walked out of seeing Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that, I mean, and I will defend... Uh, Denny V's movies, uh, you know, Sicario was on my list last year and, um, something about, and I kind of mentioned that when we talked about La La Land, but something about like him going optimistic was like, I don't know, like it was fine, but it was like not what I wanted to see because I think like if you were just to describe his style, it would just be like, watch the, watch the movie Blade Runner. Like that is Denny's style, which is perfectly fitting for directing the next Blade Runner. <laughs> for directing the sequel to Blade Runner, yes. So I'm I'm on board for that, I think. And judging from that teaser, I was like, oh shit, like this is going to be the shit. Um, what if you replaced uh, uh, Renner with the baby goose Blade in Arrival? Would you, would you have liked it? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I don't think the, the, you know, I thought the performances were fine in Arrival. Like, I, I just thought that the whole, like, like all of the the sentimentality of the movie like just felt really phony and forced to me and like uh i mean you mentioned contact like i thought contact was a a much better version of that and uh yeah just like for whatever reason it left me it left me cold and i don't think it's a terrible movie but uh uh yeah i just was not high on it and like the more i thought about it after i saw it like the less I kind of liked it. Like, I just didn't remember much from it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like if it had been more kind of like in the structure of enemy, like, I mean, it would not have been as mainstream, but I feel like that would have been closer to kind of like maybe what his style would have been if he had approached it in like a less optimistic way. But, um, yeah. Which reminds me, Steven, did you ever see enemy? I have not seen it yet. Okay. Because there's a shot that I reference without talking too much about. Yeah. Which uh, <laughs> that shot that was the best part of the whole movie. <laughs> I was like, "That's the fucking that's the fucking movie. Uh, that's the the version of Arrival I want to see." <laughs> you sort yeah. of get it at that one moment. That, yeah, but that was it. But I wanted the whole movie to be like that. Yeah. So you know, hmm. whatever. It's okay. So if Arrival was not your number three, Carson, what was your number three? Uh, well, it's a movie that's been mentioned. Uh, it was by far the joyous, most joyous movie of the year. That was Eddie the Eagle. The fact that this movie has been left off of like like every list that I've seen. Um, I don't know why people like responded to it to the way that they did. Like, I mean, this movie just completely won me over right from the start, and uh, it definitely features the year's best score by Matthew Marchson. Uh, man, that thing was so good. And, you know, it hits all the beats of your typical uh, feel-good sports movie, but, man, it does it so damn well. And, uh, yeah, it was, just a, it was just a great movie. I mean, talk about leaving the theater on a high. Like, that movie just got me so pumped. Like, it just felt like you could do anything, you know? Like, that was definitely the most joyous movie of this year. I I loved it as well. I so I made it an honorable mention on the plane list, but sitting there, the hour and forty five minutes or whatever it was that I spent watching it, 
I was beaming from ear to ear the whole time. This is, I'm so glad I listened to both of your recommendation and decided to give this a try because it, it's just a wonderful sports movie. It, it's so goofy and fun and light and powerful. And I think there was actually like a tear when he's going through this <laughs> stuff at the end. I think it well, actually I, got I me. Had, I had like a tear every time the mom spoke to him. Yeah. Like every oh, yeah. single time she spoke, I was like, what is happening? I don't, like, like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, so fully agree like, with this pick. It, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, yeah this, very, this is one that we all thought Carson was crazy for, for even yeah. suggesting that we see it. And then uh, it turned out to be a great recommendation. Who would have thunk? Yeah. I guess I should start listening to Carson. I guess that means I have to see all those other films he's listed so far. Time to watch The Greasy Strangler. Uh, yeah. I still need to watch yep. your crazy tank movie. Oh, White Tiger, your, your yeah. Your weird clown movie. Wait, what was the weird clown movie? Uh, with the sad clown. Oh, The Last Circus. Yeah, yeah. Last Circus. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I listened. Fuck yeah, that movie was good. <laughs> so good. Well, speaking of yeah. films that have been previously mentioned on people's lists, um, my number three film of the year is Shane Black's The Nice Guys. Oh. Um, I think, uh, like, as, as I already mentioned, I tried to downplay it a little bit, but uh, that was a film that I was like, ugh, Carson's going to be mad if I don't like this movie. And I went in to see it, and I was like, this movie is so fucking good. Uh, I had such a great time with it. And, like, I, yeah, it, it was, it, it, it's just a great, um, it's just like a great buddy, I guess they're semi I mean, they're 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 all cop adjacent, right? Like mm-hmm. they're all like private investigators and and stuff like that. Like they, it's just a great pairing of these two people in an amazingly comedic uh, uh, set of performances. Yeah, like I I just had a great time, enjoyed myself immensely, and this easily fell at my number three um, for the year. And it does my heart good. See, we're bringing people together. Carson, don't you feel bad for sassing Chris so hard at the beginning of this episode? It's coming, coming around at the end. He's a, he didn't come out with the crazy suit theory, you know, like in Iron Man 3 or whatever. <laughs> I still stand by um, my but I, I also wanted to say, though, that, uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, Andrew Rice, who played Goose's daughter in the movie... Uh, also one of the best child performances of the year. Like Shane Black always gets the best kid performances in his movies. She, um, she was... Even going all, even going all the way back to Last Boy Scout, uh, Bruce Willis's daughter, uh, played by Danielle Harris. Like that, that was so fucking funny. And then like in this movie, uh, yeah, she was she killed it in every scene, man. She, she was um, fantastic, but. Damn yeah. it! If child services need to come rescue her, you rescue her from that dad. Well, what I liked is she is <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of times that child role is kind of the sassy, funny, comedic relief role. Here she was kind yeah. of the moral compass of the film, also, yeah. and I thought that that worked really well to counterbalance all of the unseemly behavior of everyone else. Was having yeah, this yeah. like this one thing that just like if the film wasn't self-aware that the characters were doing terrible things, this one like bright shining beacon of yeah. goodness kind of made it even funnier to compare them. She was also like the penny to like <laughs> Baby Goose is Inspector Gadget. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, she'll probably be going places. She's going to be a new Spider-Man, so that's cool. Nice. That's great. Yeah. 
No, it, uh, so is it my turn now? <laughs> I, it, it's mine, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, you know what else is great? Steven's number two <laughs> pick of the year. Yeah. So oh, there we go. So this is another example of a movie that when I saw it, I thought like, ooh, this is mine. This is a, this is a little thing that I'm going to hold close to my heart and I'm going to reveal it at the end of the year. And then, like, three different big people stepped on my boom, basically, <laughs> and have started including it. And now it's another cliche, but this is – I don't care because I fucking love this movie. Uh, this is the documentary Tower. Um, so I caught this on iTunes fairly recently. Um, and this is a documentary about the 1966 uh, University of Texas sniper crisis. Uh, a school shooting movie. And that sounds like it's going to be very dark and dour, but I would say it's actually one of the most – bright and dazzling things i've seen all year um the way it was made is kind of a spoiler so i don't want to give too much away but it involves rotoscoping actors playing real people reenacting events as if they were there and then stitching that with actual footage of the location where the shooting took place um I've, is uh, is is Downey Jr. in it going like I don't want to get murdered? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's the equivalent of him in it. Uh, the equivalent. Now, I mean, this is a movie like <laughs> on if, if if the Steven scale of like what made the top top was the ability for it to elicit a really strong emotional response. This is a movie that brought me like the most genuine good feeling tears that I felt in a long time, where you're just watching people. Just watching people get shot by a maniac. No, wa- watching Love people. It. You're <laughs> no, watching I'm people kidding. describe, describing like people were stuck out there. There's a there's a woman who was pregnant and she was laying out for an hour and she's in the middle of a courtyard so people know the sniper can get her and so she's sitting there and no one is coming to help because they're all afraid of getting shot and we hear people describing how they were watching her and they didn't come out and this Wait, like had she been shot or was she sunbathing she had been shot and, okay. she had been shot once <laughs> you just yeah. said there's like a pregnant, pregnant lady laying out there and no. i was like why yeah. would she not just move yeah she had been shot once and she is narrating in this so spoiler for what happens to her in the end yeah. um but and there are two really powerful moments from that one is the there's a woman who is remembering how she saw her and didn't come to help because she thought this would be too threatening for me and there's kind of like an interesting vulnerability where you watch people describing like them not being heroes, them being a little bit cowardly. Yeah. And then there's a moment where the the guy who came out to save her describes like as a 17 year old or whatever, what went through his head when he realized like I have to do something. And that like fuck lone survivor. Like that is the most heroic, wonderful, uplifting thing I've seen all year was yeah. watching people recount like the little acts of heroism that they did in their daily life. And I thought the just the style of the movie and the way it was made really made it be very visceral and present and put you in that moment and made you feel like you're watching a a movie about people being people. And yeah, I, I loved it. The, this movie really caught me off guard. I had no idea it was going to make any sort of list like this, but I... I, I really love this movie. Uh, I haven't seen it. I will take your word that it's good. I, you know, it's not something that I, like, am, am you know, like, just chomping at the bit to sit down and watch, but uh, I'm sure it's good. Yeah. Th- it's, I, no, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm serious. Like, I mean, I just don't think that, you know... Uh, there's just, you know, just for me personally, I just would probably, you know, 
rather watch something else before that. But yeah, I'm definitely planning to check it out. Uh, Steven texted me like three nights ago or four nights ago, whatever night it was. And it just like the text was just a few words. It said tower is on iTunes. Watch that shit. (laughs) Period. I I stand by it. I I think it is at least a Schnazy film, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, it's the fact that it's a documentary is obviously, you know, if it was a narrative film, then maybe I'd, I'd be starring Mark Wahlberg. uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's interesting. Like, I mean, I'm always saying that like, you know, I'd rather watch the documentary version, you know, when we're talking about some of these narrative movies based on true events. So I I just think it it kind of cracked what like, like Andrew Jarecki cracks or what like the thin blue line cracks, which is how do you take a documentary and make it be visually engaging and actually do something new with it? And this just blows the lid off that, right? Like this really brings a kind of revitalizing life Mm. to the documentary genre. Well, that's good. I'll, if it comes to Netflix or Amazon Prime, I'll check it out. Cool. Carson, what was your number two? Um, well, uh, I guess it's not that surprising, but it is, uh, it is one that was mentioned not too long ago, but uh, that is The Neon Demon. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah... Uh, there's not much else to say um, other than to uh, get really pretentious sounding again <laughs> and to say that uh, every every moment and, you know, day that goes by that we don't have a new Nicholas Winding Refn project uh, makes me sad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, That's right. Maybe they'll let him direct like Star Wars 10. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, I'm sure he, his pitch, they would just be like, get the fuck out of here. This is too weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, I, I was thinking about it and it might, it might be my favorite movie of his. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's, I mean, all of his are just so good, but, uh, and, and so different while also being, you know, uniquely him. But, uh, this one for sure uh, definitely runner-up for uh, score of the year. Cliff Martinez's music in this is awesome, um, but definitely the best theme song of the year by Sia uh, in a year that had many Sia theme songs, uh, no less than four, uh, and then she wrote like two more. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was cool. Wait, she wrote two um, more theme songs that just weren't used. No, that she didn't. That she didn't sing. She actually, uh, I forgot that she wrote the Zootopia theme, the Shakira one. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, oh. Uh, she wrote that, and she Dude. wrote the Rihanna Sledgehammer. I, I don't want to trash other podcasts, but screw Dave Chen. I loved the theme song of Zootopia. <laughs> 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 Fuck that noise! Yeah, the I, noise I mean, being I was... the try everything. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I thought it was great, too. Um, But yeah, she also wrote uh, Rihanna Sledgehammer for Star Trek. And then, um, yeah, and then the others that she performed were obviously Neon Demon, uh, Finding Dory, Lion, and The Shallows, which I had forgotten about. Um, But yeah, her song for Neon Demon was like the perfect way to close out that movie. Um, and just everything about it, man, that movie, that whole fucking movie just, just oozes style. Like you just want to bathe in it like blood. <laughs> just just um, real fast since we're talking about blood and the shallows, 
Uh, yeah. That was a film that I was super excited to see, and I never got to see it. And I saw it over Christmas vacation. And the movie was fucking terrible. Really? <laughs> I did not like that wow. movie. Almost at all. everyone who saw it liked it more than they expected. I, I haven't Dude, heard many I, people who went the other way. I mean, I I I recommended it to the Shays, thinking he would dig the shit out I, of it because it was basically Blake Lively's buried with a shark. <laughs> But like bonus. the shark was like the worst CG shark I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it was. Oh, dude, the shark CG was terrible. But the shark's demise was fucking. That was clapworthy for sure. That was funny. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was B fun B movie cheese for sure. Yeah. I, anyway, I was, Neon was, Demon number two, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the best. Uh, let's you know get that next reference movie in my eyeballs right now. <laughs> All right, so on to my number two. Apparently, this is the year of just Carson just stepping all over my boom goes the dynamite because uh, Eddie Uh-oh. the Eagle is my number two film of <laughs> <Yep>. the year. <laughs> I knew I, I didn't know if it was going to be two or three or what, but I knew it would be up there. Um, this was a film that, like, when I walked out of it, I was like, if you told me <laughs> that Eddie the Eagle would be my favorite film of the year, and this was like earlier on in the year when I'd just seen it. I was like, I would say you is crazy, and uh, it really, it stay like it. It's it's genuinely just a fantastic. I don't even like sports movies generally, but this is it, it's just such a good, heartwarming, uh, amazing uh, film, and I I just I really really loved it, and I think everybody like it's like a blind buy just everybody go see it like even if you thought you wouldn't be interested in it just just watch it because it will it will melt your heart and uh yeah like i've i've known for most of the year that like it's just a film that uh it still almost feels weird to recommend because i think in my head i'm thinking the way i reacted when i first saw the trailer like oh people are gonna think i'm crazy if i said this film is great but uh it's just it's it's an amazing uh just excellent watch and makes you feel good um and yeah i want to be a ski jumper (laughs) i mean guys this is a banner year because not only did chris make fun of me once for eddie the eagle (laughs) give me give me shit for saying that it was good but twice with the movie storks and I legit I, that was that was a movie that I you know had to to not make room for because I I think that was like probably a underrated animated movie of the year and 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 um, I did I texted you like the second I was done with the movie and I even referenced the movie in my text uh, and I I definitely really really liked it it would it would have never made my list but it was a film that I felt bad for for uh, under. Um, Underassuming its potential, mm-hmm. yeah. underestimating. Joy. I mean, underestimating. There you go. I mean, to be fair, the the trailers for the movie were cut in a very uh, silly way. You know, it definitely didn't. It definitely didn't, uh, it definitely didn't uh, convey like how like good the movie was. I mean, I was still looking forward to it just as like a lark. You know, like oh, this will be you know, maybe mildly funny, but I wasn't expecting to get like fully teared up when the fucking storks are flying at the end. There's a goddamn Vance Joy song playing. And I'm just like, what the hell? This is I mean, like, Larks is going to be a different DreamWorks movie anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is like I said, I think to you guys, like in text form, like this is on the level of a, of a Lego movie. 
Like, I, I legit think that, you know, it's a movie that, that people will, will maybe find. I hope that they will find and, and really enjoy. I, I think it's a hidden gem. Like, I, I it, it kind of pained me that it didn't do as well as it did because it's a really clever, just really, uh, yeah, again, more emotion in that movie than, than, than La La Land for sure. <laughs> Yeah, There's I, a I, lot of birds in these movies, too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got uh, Storks. We got Eagle. We yeah. got Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got, we got Ryan Ryan Goose. Goose. something else. Yeah, <laughs> baby, baby Goose, Goose. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think Sully will make the list, but mm. uh, there was that, too. I felt like there was a good way that you could like work them in together. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. I think we've arrived. Yes, we have arrived. Uh, yeah, we have. And number one, and thank I you guess. for listening, guys. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> We're out of hard time space. Um, <laughs> but no, yes, yeah, so we we are here finally, finally the moment you've all been waiting for. Our number one films of 2016, Stephen. What say you? I mean, I, I think at least Chris knows what it is now, um, just by process of elimination. Uh, this is a film that I. I loved completely when I saw it in theaters. It was not one of those films like a Whiplash or an Anomalisa that jumped out as me at me as being the number one that would stand above all others. This is a movie, this is a year I think where movies were just so different and eclectic and they spanned such a broad range that lots of things could have been number one, like lots of things could have jumbled. But at the end of the year, no matter how many times I tried to reshuffle, this kept bubbling up to the top. Uh, and that's the movie American Honey uh, by Andrea Arnold. This is a film that when I saw the trailer, I was like only medium interested in. I thought it was giving away the whole story. I thought it was giving away the entire arc the character of Star was going to go on. I thought it was going to be trying too hard. It was going to be like a modern day Bonnie and Clyde or something. It was going to be these rebel kids who are going off and, you know, being outlaws in America and finding love. And what I got instead was a a long, pensive journey through Americana with kids who are growing up in all different backgrounds who are learning how to uh, cope with the world, who are trying to learn who they are. I think this you could say a lot about this in comparison to like a Spring Breakers or something or a, with a Mustang would be another good comparison, another movie on this list that's really just about people finding themselves and... This is another movie that I think is very, um, dirty is the wrong word, but this is a movie that is not afraid to be gritty and show the actual grime of the experience of kids at this age. Uh, like, this is a movie that says that the rowdy kids in the parking lot that you see, like, they aren't just B characters who are on the road to failure. Like, they're on the road to redemption. Like, they're the people who are trying to find life. And I thought this movie just really showed the life on the road. It showed how these moments can be so meaningful for you. And it was a joy to sit through. I loved the soundtrack, even though it is not music that I would normally listen to. Um, I loved the acting. I thought uh, the actress who played Star was a tremendous find. She was not an actress before this movie. It was a complete amateur who came into this role. Uh, and Shia LaBeouf is wonderful in this movie. He actually blends into the background and is believable as just one of these, uh, a kid in a mag crew, like one of these hood rats, like one, one of these people who was just hustling and trying to get by. And it, it just filled me with so much. I, 
I loved it. I loved spending time in this world. I felt I felt happy for it, and it was the perfect example of what indie filmmaking can do. I think, which is take take a small, very specific thing and let you just sit in it and live with it. And yeah, I, I love this movie. I don't even know that I'd recommend watching it on like iTunes because I feel like you need to be in a place where you are forced to reckon with it on the big screen with nothing else around you and just live in the world with them. Or in a van on a cross-country road trip. <laughs> but but, but for, for me, this was the best film of the year. This was just a striking emotional journey, and I, I, I really loved it. Well, as somebody who likes to make money and get turned... Um, <laughs> uh, I, I I did enjoy the film a lot. You and I talked about it as we walked to the streets after our uh, screening slash Q and A at the Alamo Draft House drink. Um, but uh, so I'm hella drunk. <laughs> so it, it was a film that I I very much enjoyed the journey of. But like at the end, I sort of uh, I wondered what it was like. I. Everything was great, but when it was ended, I, I just felt like it, it needed – the character needed to go on more of a journey than she went. And I, I just – I guess I didn't know what she had learned or gone through or done on this journey other than the experience that, that we saw with her. And I definitely appreciate what, the way it's made, that, that Q&A with uh, the lead actress. Like she just charmed the fucking pants off like everyone. Like she was just an amazing person just to sit and watch her humbleness and like her – excitement for having worked on the project and that like excited me for this being uh just a work in general um but yeah it, it was it was a film that i very much enjoyed but it just it missed the the schnee's factor at the end of it uh <clears throat> sorry i was thinking of saying a joke but then i thought it was too dumb but uh yeah i uh i really it's a really really good movie um i really enjoyed andrea arnold's fish tank so I was excited to see this, but if there was one trailer that I saw more than Tony Erdman this year, it was fucking American Honey. Yeah. The, <laughs> I am your savior. I was like, oh, <laughs> fucking shoot me. Um, so I was I was a little wary going in, and I, I saw it pretty late. Like, it was about to leave theaters. Uh, and also, I mean, this movie's a, it's, it's kind of a commitment. It's a three-hour movie. Um, and... And it definitely is a movie that, in lesser hands, would be annoying as fuck uh, and be very, very boring. Um, but luckily, uh, you know, it, it pretty much just takes her style and just transpla- transplants it to uh, America, and it works totally well. Like, I, I think that she pulls it off uh, completely. Like, uh, again, like, the all the music choice is great. I would also agree, not the not my first choice in music, but they all work totally well for this movie. Um, and the movie goes by super fast. Like, it is it is a quick three hours. Um, and, you know, of course, Shia LaBeouf is great. He's great in everything. Um, give the man more parts. Like, he crushes it. He totally blends in. All the actors... I mean, Andrea Arnold has this weird knack for just, like, finding non-actors like she found the girl in fish tank the same way like they found her in like a subway station they're like oh you look you look good come be in this movie it's just it's just weird that that she has the she has the (laughs) she has that that sensibility you know um and it definitely feels like you know it's called american honey but it definitely feels like an american 
movie. It feels very much like Americana. Like the fact that this woman from the UK was the one who did it is kind of weird, but uh, she nailed it. Like this is, uh, yeah, it's it's really good. I think it it depicts, uh, you know, and, and again, it doesn't it doesn't uh, like. Uh, go into like poverty porn or anything like that, which is a, in a lesser movie. I think would have, you know, gone gone that. It, route. it does open with dumpster diving for like a probably spoiled turkey, right? But it definitely is not. It isn't. It doesn't have what I would yeah. call like the slumdog syndrome, yeah. right? Like I you do. Like if there's one word I would use to describe, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely no. It's definitely not lion. That's for sure. If, if there's a word I would use to describe it, it's generous. And I think that's what I really gravitate towards in a movie. I think it's generous towards the characters. And it isn't belittling them, and it also isn't making you look and go, oh, what a poor thing, what a horrible life. It's just setting the stage and then letting you see them. And, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that hit me real, real I'll, well. I'll, I mean, also, I'm a little biased because I bought some magazines from the lead actress, and they just never arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but, but by the time, you know, Shia LaBeouf is dancing in Walmart to Rihanna, like, you know, that's pretty early on. I was going to say, like, the but, opening uh, of the movie. Yeah, but I mean, like, I mean, that's, like, that's up there with, like, one of the best meet-cutes. Like, that's up there with with Baby Goose running up and jumping onto the Ferris wheel while Rachel McAdams is on a date with another dude. Like, when that happens, in, this is in the notebook, if you're not yeah, following. Yeah, I, got you. I, I still um, haven't seen the notebook, by the way. Really? So, <laughs> really? I, I just remember... Yeah, that's I, I, whatever. But anyway, um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. If you're on a if 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 you're on a date with Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling fucking runs up and jumps onto the Ferris wheel that is hanging there and basically asks your date out, it's just over. Like, just kill yourself. It's done. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I would totally ditch away. the date and go with. <laughs> yeah, I'd go with Ryan. Go with Baby Goose. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that's like that is up there with like that level of like charming meet cute where it's like if Shia LaBeouf is dancing toward you to Rihanna in the Walmart, it's it's over. It doesn't matter who you are, it's done. Yeah. What if uh Rooney Mara is walking on the opposite side of the street from you, <laughs> hiding behind <laughs> holes? <laughs> I, I I don't know. So Carson, the moment we've all been waiting for. I have a few predictions, but I don't think I can actually guess what your number one is. Oh, well, that's good, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I, I mean, looking back on this year, like, I just went with uh, the movie that affected me most. Um, and that was by far uh, Midnight Special. Uh, I think that, uh, like I said in our review, I think it's a it's a near-flawless movie. I think it does everything that Arrival was trying to do, but, like, way better um, <laughs> s- sorry, like, sorry, but yeah. I liked it better when I it mean, was that's... called Tomorrowland. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's why all everybody online was like, oh, shit the bed at the end. It's like, whatever. Um, I, I, I don't think it did at all. Like, I, I think that, uh, yes, the, the design of the aliens and the alien world or whatever Definitely something we've seen before, but uh, at that point in the movie, it didn't fucking matter. Like, it, it had already, like, just hit everything so perfectly that, I mean, 
it just didn't matter. Like, I think Jeff Nichols, I mean, we were, uh, we were hashtag blessed with two Jeff Nichols movies this year. Uh, Loving was also <laughs> super good. Um, but Midnight Special, man, like, this is, this is, like, the closest thing to, like, vintage, you know, Spielberg and, and, like, that Amblin style of filmmaking that we used to get. Uh, and, like, I feel like, you know, this would have been, like, a huge summer blockbuster, uh, back in the day. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that this movie, it plays into nostalgia, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel fabricated or cheap, like something like Stranger Things, you know, that's just trying to cash in on that stuff. Um, it feels, you know, it's, it's, it's tapping into that, but it's, it's, you know, filtered through the unique lens of Jeff Nichols. And I mean, everything in this movie uh, was like just bringing tears to my eyes, like right from the opening, uh, you know, the music and the, the, the look of the movie and the performances, uh, again, another, uh, great child performance, uh, Jaden Lieberher, however you say it. Um, yeah, he was another like perfectly cast child actor and, uh, just everything about that movie uh, was a hundred percent. I mean, it's stupid to say, but it it was it was a special movie. Like, what do you want? Um, I think you know. Yeah, it, it, it was it was definitely by far the number one movie of this year. So I, I think. I this was a podcast episode when my computer died and I started just like texting you guys halfway through your review or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I had no shortage of love for parts of this film. I like I I really like Jeff Nichols. I like his vision and I liked what he was going for here. Uh, it did it didn't quite hit the heights to me as some of his other films, but I the more I look back, the more I appreciate the tonal elements of the film and the things that it did really strike me with so yeah i i i am happy to keep supporting jeff nichols doing what he do because it's uh he's a very singular filmmaker and he's one of the few people who can bring these kind of things to life right now i i'm personally striking out with jeff nichols um i didn't really like the film for me the best part of watching midnight special was during the film making a bunch of assumptions about the director and then getting to moments after it ended, hear him articulate exactly the assumption that I made about what he was going for in the film um, at the Q&A. Like, that, like, I appreciate what he wanted to do, and I think he executed perfectly exactly what he wanted to do. And for me, um, it just didn't deliver on the thing. It's, you know, schnazy gonna schnaze. Uh, it didn't deliver on what I wanted from the narrative he was telling, but I but I, I appreciate what he did, and I think that, like, without a doubt, he executed on exactly his intention, and he did like a, a very phenomenal job trying to tell the story that he wanted to tell. I just didn't. I guess I guess that story wasn't for me. So, but I mean, yeah, like like I like I said in the review, you know that that Jeff Nichols said that he's not a fan of plot and he's not a fan of endings, which is a, <laughs> the two a, things that were very lacking from the film. <laughs> yeah. Which is a double, which is a double no, no in, uh, in the Schnee's criteria. So yeah. that's uh yeah, that wasn't going to fly. I remember when he said that in some interview and I, I laughed, 
And I was like, this, this is my guy right here. <laughs> but now we're about to learn about Chris's number one, a film <laughs> where I think the literal meaning of the plot could be hazy and the ending might not be the strongest thing about it. So let's di- let's dive into the one that Carson and I both know as Chris's number one <laughs> film of the year. I said obviously it's Ten Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I thought about ha- like where on the list Ten Cloverfield Lane could go, and uh, in the end it didn't go anywhere. Um, well, you chose Green Room, I guess, as the uh, I guess as the better uh, one location thriller. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I chose Arrival as the one sci-fi thing. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it had two. It had two slots it could have gone in, and they were both taken by films that um, that were that were better. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. be real. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, and that's not even a knock. To t- I I I loved Ten Cloverfield Lane, um, and I definitely want to support the filmmaker. It just didn't make it my list. Um, but the thing that did make my list, which was by far, without a doubt, the most schnazy film that came out this year. And a film that, from the moment I, like, halfway through the film, I was saying this is, like, the best film I've seen in a long time. And I was very, very much uh, taken back by it. And that is Swiss Army Man, um, which is, it's still, I, I continually try to to add a qualifier to the statement every time I tell anybody about the film. They're like, what's your favorite film of the year? I'm like, Swiss Army Man, for sure. However... Just so you know, I'm willing to concede that maybe I like watch this in a completely personal uh, uh, standpoint. But I just the it, I, I just think it's 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 an amazing film that is saying a lot. Even if what it's saying is simple, the context for which it's saying it adds to the significance of it. And I think that it is just it is an amazing film that I'm even even willing to to. Uh, to give the benefit of the doubt, or I guess whatever the negative side of benefit of the doubt is, to where the filmmakers may have accidentally achieved brilliance. Like, it could be a complete and total joke, like a big, complete lark, and it really is just about the farts. But the, what they accidentally said in the film is just brilliant to me. And like I've said in the review episode, I cried for like the majority of this film. And wow, that could relate to the state of my mind as I walked into the theater. It just, it, the film hit all the perfect notes for me and it is just a film that I love, I think is fantastic and I am so happy that I went to see the Farting Corpse movie because I could have easily passed on it thinking it was just going to be dumb and instead I saw it and uh, I love it. So Yeah, because that... I just remembered because that is the, actually the third movie this year where, like, after recording, I was like, oh, you know, like, Swiss Army Man's out next week. And you're like, uh, you were kind of like Daniel Radcliffe, Farty <laughs> Corpse. Not my bag. And then, um, yeah. It, it so, turned out to be all of the bag. <laughs> oh, yes. All of the bag and I don't know. But um, <laughs> boners, buttholes, all that stuff. It's my two um, favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I I love the movie. I mean, what's not to love about this movie? And obviously, I echo everything that's being said. The only thing that, I'm, that I forgot to mention, I think, in the review, and uh, I think I forgot because I wasn't really on in person. I was on in like, you know... Uh, you were a drop-in, pre-rec- I think. Yeah. I was a drop-in, yeah. I was pre-recorded. Um, so I sounded a lot better. Um, <laughs> but... Um, 
Um, I mean, it, and if and if Chris didn't spot this, then he fails as a mega fan. But I thought that the the cameo by a one Shane Carruth at the end of this movie uh, that was that was pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he he got it. He saw it. It's in there. Yep. But uh, yeah, and and you know, I like that. Uh, I liked that the movie, like you know, it kept. Uh, it didn't have like a happy ending. It it stayed. Uh, stayed pretty dark. Um, yeah. Spoilers. And, and, <laughs> I guess. Sorry. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. I mean, again, two filmmakers that I I greatly look forward to. Uh, you know, two up and coming filmmakers that I look forward to seeing what they do next because they they definitely have creativity to burn. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think we we all are in agreement that this might not be a universal film, but I think for all of us as people in wherever in life we are right now, it it was awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I every time I think about this movie existing. And I imagine, like, what would I recommend to someone if I just want them to get the most bang for their buck, like the most wildly different thing in a kind of short, palatable time frame? This is the movie that comes to me. Because within 10 minutes, they're going to at least have an opinion, right? <laughs> they're either going to walk out or be in there for the full ride. <laughs> this is like yeah. the polar opposite of loving. Like, immediately yeah. you're going to know what you think. <laughs> and, and, I, and I actually do think that it, it's it's almost a detriment how much farting happens before the real meat hap- the real meat gets in there because <laughs> I feel I feel like the type well the meat would make the fart a little bit more uh... <laughs> but, yeah. yeah how much broccoli gets in there before the fart <laughs> no no but I, I I feel like the type of person who would potentially walk out walks out probably before they get to the part that would keep them in right mm. and I and I feel that. Somebody like it's the, it's the type of movie that if I walked out of and then watched years later, I would be so mad at myself for having watched walked out of it. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just it, it's kind of a shame that it has to spend so much time farting before a real conversation starts happening. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I I like it. I like that it holds you at arm's length. It uh, it forces you to wonder if it's a joke. And it forces you in this kind of odd place where you don't quite know what to think of it. And also, I believe Daniel Radcliffe deserves a, a, a nomination for his performance as a corpse. <laughs> oh yeah, he was he was great in it. I mean, sincerely. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it like that was one of the things that impressed me while I was watching. It was just like, God damn it, this guy. Like, yeah. I I mean, it's it's kind of unfortunate that it won't be. Uh, you know, nominated for anything like that. But yeah, it's, it's like awards level acting. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did it. Uh, yeah, we, we, we made it through our top tens. It is now almost 1am. Uh, but, uh, but we did it guys. We made it through a whole year. I'm hoping that this next year is a year that I have to struggle as you guys did to cut things out just to make a top 10 list. Um, but here's to the new year. Here's to the new year. In in the spirit of the new year, I will cut down and only mention one of my honorable mention awards, which we don't need to comment on at all. 
that is what I've always done, which is the Vintage Steven Award, which is the movie that is the kind of thing that in a year where I am myself should have made a list, myself being like the heartfelt, emotional version of me. Uh, and that was a movie that has happily gotten no shortage of love uh, this year, uh, which is Sing Street, which is just cementing to, oh, yeah. cementing to me that I really love uh, John Carney. I think I just lo- I loved, I liked Begin Again. I loved Once. And Sing Street, I wanted to hold at arm's length just from the trailers, from everything about it. The 80s thing didn't click with me. But you guys talk about Eddie the Eagle, and the way you talk about it is the way I felt about Sing Street, which is just a purely joyful movie-going experience. Like, it wouldn't have even surprised me if it was one of your, like, one or two or something, because it it's really good. So if you if you want to have a good time, go watch Sing Street. And, and I'm definitely, it's not just that I want to see it. Like, I'm definitely going to watch it. But it felt like... I was I like I just felt like if if I watched it I'd be watching it for the purpose of putting it on the list which it would in like no doubt get and I was just like yeah I'm just going to I hadn't seen it I will treat it as if I hadn't seen it and I'll just watch it after the year's done. Hmm. I mean yeah I echo everything Stephen said on uh, Sixth Street I think that Eddie the Eagle just eclipsed it. Uh, uh, you know, a little in that department, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, that's another movie that hits all the all the familiar beats, but it does it so well. And uh, drive it like you stole it, I think is maybe the best song ever, guys. It's great. And when I, I heard it, apropos of nothing, I was like, really, this is the kind of movie it's going to be. Why is everyone talking about it? And then when it came on in the movie, I oh, in the gushed. context of the movie, I was like, oh, oh yeah. I love it. I love everything <laughs> yeah. about this. That, that's what I thought about and, the theme and it, from and Trolls. Talk about, <laughs> and talk about, uh, m- talk about movie endings, though, but when that dumb Adam Levine song comes in, I mean, you can't help but get misty-eyed. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> He's doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah. Same with Begin Again. Adam Levine, he knows, he oh, knows yeah. what's up. Yeah. They're all good. John Carney knows how to make these... Make these musical movies, man. Uh, that's definitely one I had to, to cut out, for sure. I mean, there were a couple others. Uh, Chris's favorite, Jackie, <laughs> which I think was also the uh, uh, the other best-looking film of the year. Um, I mean, I really love that movie. Um, and uh, I have to give a special shout-out, since I was kind of bummed that I was not on the episode to defend it, but... Like, maybe just below Bloodfather, but, like, in terms of entertaining genre action movies, but The Accountant was awesome. <laughs> like, that movie Ooh. was so fun, and I do not understand the hate for this movie. Like, oh, it's so absurd and ridiculous. I'm like, of course it is. Like, it's awesome. Um, it just totally taps into that that whole, that whole uh, style of, like, 90s movie making where like every movie was like that you know and now it's like kind of considered uh lame i guess but man the count was super fun man yeah and this is how 2016 ends yeah not with a bang but with the accountant (laughs) i mean there's yeah there's some there's so many other movies but yeah that i i enjoyed i enjoyed that one uh yeah. All right, guys. Well, yeah, I think it's time to take off. Uh, thank you guys all for joining me on this episode. Thank you, you for having me. Yes. 
Yes. I really, I just assumed you were talking to the listeners at this point because they've talked like two hours, 45 minutes now. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, Which uh, means we have too, so good yeah, on us. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, thank, thank you guys who are listening now. Thank you for sticking with us through the last year. Uh, I know the release schedule has been a little wonky for a while, but uh, we'll see if we can do better moving forward. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, here's to... 2017.